You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hockey fans, feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make the first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie and rack up points for goals, assists, saves, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 years or older, restrictions apply. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. And welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 200 of the big show, some Enforcer Based Podcast, and coming at you brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How's everybody doing out there? Celebration 200th. Can you believe it? Some would say that's about 199 too many. Um, welcome. Thank you very much for tuning in. Yeah, guys. Um, it was it was wild uh, on Wednesday when I did what I recorded episode one ninety nine didn't even dawn on me about two hundred until like later that night and I'm like oh yeah when Sunday's gonna be the two hundredth episode what am I gonna do and uh, I had uh, the next day I had been list I had listened to a wrestling podcast that I saw I you know I I listened to now and again and he happened to be doing two hundred his two hundredth episode as well and he had a bunch of different guests on that he had had on. And, uh, and I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just get a bunch of different fight fans on here and, you know, we'll do that. Well, I think, my, you know, as all ideas go, um, you know, great idea, poorly executed on my part. But so I put it out on social media and I got a, hey, if anybody's interested in coming on and doing maybe a 10 or 15 minute segment on my show and we'll just talk about whatever and 
uh, for the 200th episode. Well, I got a, just send me a direct message. So I got a bunch of direct messages. So I got a hold of these guys. They're like, yeah, man, I'll come on. What are we going to talk about? Oh, yeah. I didn't really think that part through. Shit, what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, do you have any ideas? So I'm sure they're probably just like, what is this guy doing? But um, we managed to come up with a few ideas, different ideas. And um, I want to thank everybody who got a hold of me. And I want to apologize right now. <clears throat> there was a bunch of guys. Uh, Andrew, I keep screwing you over, Matt. I know, I got to get you on. It's brutal on my part. Um, nothing personal, man. And all you guys that got a hold of me that I didn't. I didn't get to, um, it was nothing like, I'm. oh, not him, I'll pick him, not you, I'll pick him. It was nothing like that. It all just fell into the lap of who got a hold of me at the moment I hit. The other, last, yesterday, I was, I'm not lying, I've always been transparent and honest with you guys. I had headphones on and talked for over eight hours yesterday with people. And I worked yesterday morning, I called in on overtime, so I was there at 5.30 in the morning. Ran around and did that for a bunch of hours, came home, and immediately got on here because I had to talk to the UK guys because there was an eight-hour time difference. So it was already 9, 10 o'clock at night there. So I had I got those done. By that time, it was whoever got a hold of me right at that moment when I hit stop on one, I got a hold of. And, uh, and then other guys, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get a hold of you in a bit. And then I was like, okay, I'm running late. And, and then they couldn't, and it was like... Yeah, so I I apologize for anybody that I skipped over or didn't get a hold of. It's nothing personal. Um, it's just when you do a collaborative like this, it's uh, it's hard. And and like I said, and uh, you know, I do have a wife I have to talk to and supper to make and stuff around the house that we wanted to do. Um, so you know, um, I'm doing my best here, guys. But what happened? I'm going to actually we're going to keep the party rolling because I'm going to break this up into two parts. Episode 201 is going to be a continuation of guests. I ended up talking to 10 people. And if I had them all on here, it'd be like a five-hour episode or whatever. And I don't want to make it that long. So I'm going to break it up into two parts. And um, I tried to keep everybody's segment short. I hated cutting the guys off because we were ha- I was having such a good time talking to everybody. But it was like, oh, shit. So, oh, poor Barrett there. I think he was the first guy I had on. And I... I, I think I shut him, I was ready to shut him down in like seven minutes, I, you know, because I was trying, I was, right then I was really conscious of my time and thing and who the guys I had to talk to and so sorry man, I didn't mean to cut you off like that and I kind of, I, I kind of let him dangle in the wind with my stoop, with, without having any ideas. So, um, I apologize. I, I actually ended up doing 23 minutes, but it was like, I kind of felt like I was really rushing them and stuff. I felt like I rushed a bunch of the guys, but, and it was nothing personal. I'm just trying to get everyone in. So, um, I think what I want to do in the future, and I really like as much as the collaborative thing was a real pain in the ass and everything else, not the guys, but just the time that it takes. And, and you try to squeeze it into such a, into such a small time frame. I think what I want to do, um, going forward is I have a list of everyone that got a hold of me. And I want to talk to all these guys, and I want to have you all on. But the guys that I didn't get on for these for these two episodes here, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll record with you some night when we can get together and do it, and we'll do a 20 25 minute deal. And I'm gonna have a bunch of them saved because because the topics are evergreen, right? It's not like it's time time pressing, so um, or time sensitive. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm going to have a bunch of you on, I'm going to save them and then I'll put them all together. And then some Sunday episode or whatever, Wednesday or whatever, I'll put them all together like, like this. And it'll just be a mixed bag of, Oh, I talked to these four guys 
and these are what we talked about and it'll be an hour and a half episode or something and you know bam 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 we'll just put it out that way i think that'd be really cool and i and i you know and i would cover a cross section you'd hear a different voice not just me and the other guy for an hour and a half or whatever but you'd hear four or five separate voices and and different you know different tones and different um just stories and i think uh um, that actually, that, that this thought of this just actually came across my, as I was recording here, it just kind of came into my head. So I think I'm going to do that. And like I said, I have a list right here of everybody that got a hold of me and I'm going to be reaching out and talking to you guys because I want to have you all on because you took the time out to, and you're interested enough to volunteer to come on and I want to do that. And, uh, so it's not just going to be a 200 episode thing. It'll be an always episode thing. And I've always said that, and you guys know that any long-term listeners of the show, I've always said, if anybody out there wants to get a hold of me, whether it be on Twitter or Facebook, send me a private message. If you have any ideas for the show, um, if you have opinions of the show, good, bad, or otherwise, I'd like to hear them. Um, I'm always up for constructive criticism because that's how you get better and, uh, or positive or whatever. Um, or just want to share a story or if you want to come on the show and, and tell, if you have something you want to say or a story to tell or if you think, yeah, I think other fight fans would be because, really, um, you know, if like I had Jim on here, he's he's coming up here on this show. He's actually the first guest here. Um, he's down in Adirondack. He used to go to all the Red Wing games. Well, he was there when Probert was there. And he talks about Probert as an Adirondack Red Wing and VL and Cummins. And it's like, oh, I think fight fans would like to hear that. So it's just stuff like that. If you have a, a story that like, oh, I think the fight fans would care, would think this is cool. Like, oh, back in the day, I saw Colt Lawrence with Current and this happened, you know, or whatever the example is. But you know what I'm saying? And get a hold of me for sure. I'll have you on. Believe me, it's not like, oh, some behind the velvet rope. Like you have to have, it's some big, huge exclusive guest list to get on this show. Believe me, I'll have, well, I don't want to say I'll just have anybody on, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, if yeah, if you got a story and you want to get out and you want to have your voice out there, absolutely. I've always said fourth line voice to the name came from. I am, I've always said I'm the voice of the voiceless. I'm the guy with the microphone. These guys don't have shows. But they have something to say. Well, come on my show. Here's my microphone. Say it to the world. And the same thing with the players. You're here to tell your story. And that's what this show has been about for 200 episodes. And I don't want to say 200 more. We'll see how much more I have in me. But, you know, but that's what the show has been always been about. Will always be about. And it's not like, oh, you had to have played before to come on here. You have to be one of my friends on Facebook and, you know, whatever. Like, you know, um, no, I'll, I'll have anybody on. If you have a story to share and, and, and want to get it out there, by all means, uh, you can certainly use this show as the vehicle. And, uh, yeah, so always get a hold of me on Facebook, on Twitter. If you're not on social media, hockeyfights at hotmail.com. Send me an email. Boom. I'll get you on for sure. So, yeah. So in saying that, I have a bunch of guys on here for round, I guess we'll call it two, the episode 200 round one. And first up is, uh, well, we got Jim, Jeff, Sam, Jay, and Barrett on for number one here. Um, Jim, uh, was, like I said, he was out in Adirondack, shares some old Red Wing stories as well as, um, we just sort of talk about underrated guys. And, uh, it, it was, it was great. It was cool. And I, I enjoyed it. And then, uh, Jeff, um, long time. He's the old, uh, fry, both these guys are old fried chicken guys. So I had a few old fried chicken boys on here and, uh, he, he was Kimball 29 on FC, uh, Jeff, and he was out in Peoria. So we talked about some old Riverman stuff and it's cool. Cause they've had that, you know, the Peoria history there is with the Riverman is unbelievable. So that's a cool talk. Then I have Sam from the UK and he was, um, 
old Sam Bell, you know, and uh, Sam, ring that bell. And uh, he's a strength and conditioning coach with Manchester Storm. And uh, yeah, so he just shared, you know, just some, some things that go on behind the scenes with not only the strength and conditioning, but his interactions with, uh, you know, Eric Nielsen and Jay Rosehill and guys like that that have come over there. And um, yeah, it was, like I said, it was just a cool little behind the scenes thing. And um, yeah, and I and I've talked to Sam a bunch of times. Sam was good enough to share some um, uh, old photos that he had back in the day, and I, I was glad to finally get him get him there, get him on the show. There we go, spit it out, man. Too much talking these last few days, but uh, no, really nice guy. Really enjoyed talking to Sam. He was great, and uh, and then of course Jay in Iowa. Well, that everyone has heard his voice if you've listened to this show before. You know, of course, Jay, I've had him on a few times. The last time he was on, he did, we had a really successful season ticket series. It was the United Hockey League 05 06 season. And I had Jay on. He was a great guest. And he's always prepared. And, uh, I always enjoyed, and I talked to Jay all the time anyway in text that we talk daily and stuff. So, but I had him on and we talked about in Quad City, the craziest game night promotions. And he has some good ones. So we talked about that. And then I rounded up with old Barrett and I felt bad for Barrett because I felt like I was rushing him through. He was the first guy that I had on for my crazy, my crazy goal of my show here. And, uh, we talk about jerseys and stuff and I kind of threw him off and it was, and I will take complete, not that his segment was bad because he was great. It was me. I was so, I, I was ill prepared and, uh, he went through it. He he was the one that carried that portion, and I felt bad. And I definitely want to bear it on back on again because he. Uh, I think he has some very interesting LNAH experiences from going up there, and I want to talk to him about that. But uh, we didn't get to that part uh, in this segment. We talked about jerseys and stuff because he's a big game worn guy. So um, yeah, so that was great uh, to have him on. And I I want to thank everybody those guys for coming on, and taking time out of their days to come on. And I, I didn't mean I think I I sort of rushed you guys through, and I I, I felt like I cut a bunch people off like but it was just I'm trying I was trying to get the time in and I'm busy looking at the time and kind of panicking in my head and, and I've and I I didn't even think of this until I think it was Jay that brought it up was like well why don't you, why don't you just do two parts oh, yeah why don't I just do two parts that way if I had thought of that earlier I could because I was thinking about putting everybody on at once but in my head I'm like this is going to end up being a four-hour show and I nobody wants a four-hour show and I'm like, oh man, I don't know why I just didn't think of two parts. Why didn't I? Ugh, so stupid sometimes. So yes, so I'm doing this in two parts. So uh, Patrick and Tony and Searson and Scott and those guys, you uh, that'll be on Wednesday's show. Um, <clears throat> again, I apologize to the people that I didn't get in touch with or didn't get on here for this. Um, I, like I said, I will get a hold of you guys and we will do something for sure. Um Guys, I will say this, uh, before, like I said, we, this is about two hours of, uh, guys here, so I'm not gonna take up too much more time in the, in the intro. Um, as I said, I'm a member of the network. Check out those shows. Of course, we got, get rid of Lazito! Broadway Joe Lazito over at the Coliseum Chronicles. Um, he is, he has always been a supporter of my show, and I'm, I'm, and me of, as, of his. Um, great dude, good dude, and listen to it, check out his show. Tremendous. Islander Enforcer based podcast. Um, having a little tough time with, well, it seems to be a common theme with him and Alec and myself. Tough time getting guests. Um, and, uh, hopefully Joe hang in there and, you know, and it's, it goes in waves, man. It goes in waves. It's strange. But yes, give Joe, he's got a tremendous back catalog. And of course, as the, as I said, Alec over at the Five for Fighting podcast, 
Again, uh, out in North Carolina, he's been moving and everything else. He's busy as shit, so he hasn't had much time to record lately, but I think he's got something coming out here right away. Um, and uh, definitely check it out. Again, great back catalog, Yablonski, Ray, Bialois. Um, he also has a YouTube channel, Five for Fighting at YouTube. Um, it's like he's got a lot of East Coast League stuff. Definitely check it out. Um, great. He does a great job as well. So those guys, I want to thank both of those guys for their call. They're all, they're always supporting, always been supportive of the show and, um, the network, Isha and Dylan have been great for having me on the network to even give me a platform to do this. If it wasn't for them, if it wasn't for Isha and that fateful phone call one night, I wouldn't be doing this anymore. I, like I said, I had my own dot com site that got hacked and it crashed. I lost everything. And at that point I was done podcasting. I was like, well, it was a pain in the ass to get that all going and whatever, I'm done. And then Isha phoned me about six months after that and uh, convinced me to come back on to this little network that they were starting. And uh, here we are. And they're, you know, and they've been bought by Amaze Labs and, or Amaze Media and they're climbing up the ladder. And, uh, you know, and like I said, in, in all honesty, and I never thought I would be getting paid for this. And here I am collecting a check. Um, you know, from DraftKings and, and from through Isha and Dylan's hard work for their sponsorships. And, um, yeah, and it's been, it, it's been an honor for me to be on the, that they decided to, you know, get a hold of me and, and, and add me to their, uh, their list of shows. And, uh, they've been nothing but respectful to me. And, uh, I want to thank them for having me on. And, uh, and I, and I'm thinking I've, I've probably been a pain in the ass more than once. And I try not to be, I try to stay out. I don't bother them with too much. But, uh, I, I want the young, the young guys there. Thank you for, for putting up with the old fart here. And, uh, I'm sort of stuck in my ways and, uh, I rant and rave a few times, but, uh, they, uh, they've always been really cool with me. And I, again, I, I thank them for giving me the platform to do 200 episodes and, uh, yeah, guys. And for everybody listening out there, thank you very much, um, for always supporting the positive feedback you send, uh, for rating and reviewing the show. Download it. I get paid by the download for always download my episodes, but in all seriousness, um, yeah, it's, it's been, I've seen the show grow since I started, um, to, to get messages from people saying they enjoy the show or on my commute, I always listen or on my, when I'm working out, when I'm jogging or, you know, or when I'm working in the garage or at the shop and I got you guys on and, uh, and it, that's awesome. And, uh, and, and all over the world. And it's unbelievable that, here I am sitting, you know, here in Saskatchewan, sitting in the basement and yelling into a microphone in the dark and, uh, to know it's, it's reaching the UK and, uh, and, you know, down in the States and Wyoming and, uh, you know, all those places. It's, um, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's mind blowing to be completely honest. And, um, yeah, cause again, at 46 year old, I didn't grow up like young people grew up with the internet and cell phones and all that stuff. We didn't. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, right? Like, we didn't have this stuff. And this is all learning later on, you know. And I, I feel like I'm, I yell at my parents for not understanding. I feel like I'm, I'm right there with them. Um, this is, so this technology shit's pretty wild sometimes when you wrap your head around it, when you really think about it. So, um, yeah, unbelievable. But, um, yeah, I'll shut up and let's get into, uh, get into this. I still can't believe 200 episodes. Pretty wild. But, uh, yeah, guys. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As I said, this is your guys' show, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's been it, it's been cool to bring it to you, and I'm and I'm glad you guys are supporting it and continue to support it. And I've always said um, this is your guys' show, and 
for and you guys are my billboard um for everybody that's listening out there um you know i don't have bottles of alcohol named after the show i don't have a massive bar stool sports uh you know again hockey podcast network is growing and you know with a little engine that could but we don't have a massive espn or a bar stool or tsn behind it so i rely on you guys to be my voice and if you if you know a guy hey you know you like old time you should listen to this guy and and same with Alec and Joe. You should listen to their shows because, you know, they talk old-time hockey. Because believe me, guys, no one else is. So if you're an old-time fight fan, there there isn't much. There isn't much. There, there's 8 million podcasts out there. There's only three talking about old fights that I know of. And uh, so if you could, it's it's up to you. It's really, it's up to you, the listeners. If you guys could spread the word, tell your friends. Like I said, I know there's a lot of people, there's a lot of guys that would probably love this show from the old, like I talk about it on here with a couple of the old fried chicken fight member, member group, membership. Um, there's probably a lot of those guys that aren't on Facebook or on Twitter. You know, they're not on social media because they're older guys and they're just like, yeah, why would I be on Twitter? So they have no way of knowing about this show. So if you know guys like that, get a hold of them. Please tell them about this show because I think they'd love it. It's like I always said, it's fried chicken. It's it's the fight message board in audio form. That's what this. That's what I've tried to make this. So, yeah, like I always say, you guys are my voice. So if you can spread the word through your friends, if you have friends that are old fight fans, let them know. Hey, tune into the Fourth Line Voice. I think you might like it. Well, I'm not really a podcast guy. Well, become a podcast guy. It's just radio. It's just radio. That's all it is. That's one guy says, oh, I don't listen to podcasts. Well, I'm like, you listen to the radio? Yeah, well, it's the same thing. Um, you know, we're just not, we're, we just don't have, we're uncensored here. So, yeah, if, I think that'd be really cool if you guys could, and, and you guys have, you guys have been spreading the word, and I, and I love it, and I appreciate it. And I, like I said, I, it's cliche and everything else, but I really can't thank you guys enough. So, yeah, but uh, shut up, Darren. Let's get into it. So, all right, guys, I guess... This will be episode, this is episode 200, like part one. This is episode 201 on Wednesday. We'll have the remainder of the guests that came on. And uh, and like I said, we'll certainly do this again. It doesn't have to be a milestone an, uh, episode number. We can uh, we can do a collective at any time. So and I think going forward, I'm going to do that. And uh, I want to appreciate, I appreciate everybody out there. You guys know that. And uh, like I said, I'm always, I'm always ears drop me a line. I'll get back to you for sure. So uh, without without further ado, let's get into it. My first guest here is Jim. Let's hear about Probert as an Adirondack Red Wing. And uh, all right, guys, we will uh, we'll talk to you again on uh, on Wednesday. Thanks, everybody. All right, here we are on ep- for episode two hundred. Uh, the next guest on the line, uh, Jim. Jim, how's it going today? It is going great, Darren. Thank you for having me. I I love your pods. I, I'm kind of new to finding them, finding a lot of this stuff from, you know, back in the day. I was a fried chicken guy, so what was, what was your username on this, fried chicken? I went by Jungle on fried chicken. I wasn't a huge poster, but I, I got involved in some things and made some threads, so it was it was an enjoyable time. It's This is a hobby that... It, I, I just kind of, I've always been watching the fights on YouTube all these years, but I, I did not really realize there was still like a little subculture to the hobby. So it's great finding all this stuff all of a sudden again. 
Well, so it, yeah, you're definitely right with the subculture. That's for sure. Yeah, we just, yeah. <laughs> There's a few jokers out there, yeah. Although, wait until they hear that I had jungle on. They'll be like, oh, that fucking guy. All right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a few guys that didn't really care for me. I, I was always polite, but just, you know, I guess some of the guys you liked back in the day, it didn't fly with some guys. <laughs> well, so, you know, some guys, yeah, yeah, everybody had their favorites, and everybody had their own little personality on fried chicken, that's for sure. So, And it's funny, over the years, I've from doing this i've you know had a had a uh you know run into a few with a few of them and had a you know we talked back and forth it's been pretty funny so yeah so when you well when you got a hold of me we were talking and you're like oh yeah jungle forever i'm like i know who you are i remember that yeah so yeah so it's been cool to kind of uh reconnect with the people because you know back then man we spent a lot of time on that website and shit you know like every night you'd oh heck there yeah and, yeah uh definitely it was in so much information. It, yeah. it was amazing. You know, like, I, I think you've said it before. I've heard you say it that, you know, you're with your friends and you're like the big wheel when it comes to hockey fights. You know, you can name names and you can say things and they're, they just sit there and say, oh, okay. And then you go on fried chicken and it's like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> these guys know their stuff. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good, good information here. So I learned a lot by just reading. Absolutely. I, I think I just lurked on fried chicken for the for a long time before I finally even joined. But yeah, it, so it was I, yeah. it was a good time. Yeah, no, I was in the same boat for sure. And uh yeah, and you just read and, and, and that's what I would say with all these with the websites going down, not, not being around the fried chicken, the drop your gloves and the and hockey well, hockey fights taking the forms away. Yeah, all that history's gone. And uh and the problem is is there's no there's nowhere to go to get that history. Like if you wanted to read about Bennett Wolf, there's nowhere to go. Like, what are you gonna do? No, I. Yeah, you got a 10 minute video. That's all you got now. It's, yeah. And I. Yeah, I. I really. I. I feel bad because some of my like knowledge is actually starting to fade as I've been, you know, kind of getting back into it on the, the the Facebook page and listening to your pods and Joe's pod. I. I'm like, wow, I, I forgot about some of this stuff. And I kind of felt that because I, it's always been a passion since, you know, basically since I first saw Probert playing in uh, Adirondack back in 85, 86, it's like been a passion for me. Well, so, that's good. Hey, what a, look at this. It's like, you're a, you're a pro already. Look at that segue, just right into it. Well, you're an Adirondack guy. So you watched all the Adirondack Red Wings there in the, in the eighties and the early nineties. Um, and we're, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to definitely have you back on the show because we're going to do a little more in-depth talk about all this stuff. But for this episode, unfortunately, we kind of got like 10, 15, 20-minute intervals here that I'm doing with different people. But you had some Red Wings stuff that you wanted to talk about, Adirondack Red Wings. Yes, the Red Wings. I I think, you know, it's so funny, Darren, that like Bob Probert's my favorite player, and I'm sure he's a lot of people's favorite player. And, you know... One thing I've always said about Probert is that the 85-86 Probert was different than than any other version of him for the rest of his career. I don't know if any if people remember how absolutely wild he was. He he was a madman that year. I mean, even if you watch the fights that he had in the NHL, headbutts, there was you know, low blows in some fights, hair pulling, just like a lot of, a lot of wild stuff. And he did a lot of that stuff in the, at, 
an Adirondack, too. It was, like, strange. And then the next year, he kind of settled right down. And every once in a while, he would do stuff. But, man, he for that year, it, he was almost looked at as almost more like a Randy Holt, Bob Gassoff type rather than a than the heavyweight champ. I I just distinctly remember that because um, we had the the eighty five eighty six Adirondack team is still like the best team I ever saw play in person, and it was loaded with a lot of guys: Adam Oates, Claude Loisel, Rick Zombo, Probert, Basil McRae was on that team. So it like had first class players on that team, but. Um, the Hershey Bears had set a penalty minute record that year, and we went through the playoffs and ended up fa- playing them in the playoffs. And they, even with their penalty record, the Red Wings with Prober and McCray just were like not intimidated at all. It was like, and Bob did some things during that playoffs. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you guys, if anybody remembers, we played the Frederick Express in the first round. And it was going back and forth. I saw Probert fight Rick Zemlack right in front of me in the section I was sitting in. And then the season, the series was pretty even. And the Red Wings got blown out in a game in Fredericton. So at the end of the game, we're listening to it on the radio. The announcer all of a sudden starts saying, Probert's skating down the ice. And he skated directly into the crease and cross-checked their goalie and laid him out totally. Like, oh my gosh. He got suspended for the rest of that series, but the Red Wings just turned around and just freaking took off, and that was that was it for Fredericton. But he would do stuff like that back then that was really, really wild. So, you know, a little bit of a tangent there, but I, it was just such an interesting thing watching him play as a rookie. Well, see, this but. is like, and this is the great thing about these doing this show or having the message boards because you have, like I said, it's a collection of people from all over, right? And everyone's experiences were different. You know, like we were talking before we got going, I was a junior guy, you know, in Saskatoon and stuff. And of course, you're out in Adirondack. Yeah. So you saw this. So you're you're throwing out information that the majority, because again, there's no footage. Like there really, no, there, I mean, no. there's some Probert Adirondack stuff, but you know, not a lot. And I don't, I, I don't think this goalie thing is on. I don't think there's footage of that anywhere. I don't. No, think so. I, I've never seen it. No, I mean but, maybe someone's sitting on it somewhere, but I mean I've never, um, yeah, seen any of that. So it's like, yeah, this. So when you can, this is great that you're getting this this information that you're putting out there because no no one knew about this. So that's the whole point of the that, show. There you go. Yeah, that 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 was awesome, and yeah. I, it, it's just hard to get across. So that made a big impact on me. And from, from there, all it was, was I started first studying penalty minutes and then learning more about that. And Hey, who's actually a fighter and not just a penalty minute collector. And you know, that that's how it was back then. You just, the information, you couldn't just say, press a button on Google and find out about stuff. It was like, whew. but you know, it, it was, it was something else. The, the Red Wings were fun to watch because, this, the Glens Falls Civic Center, where they played, was was relatively small, about five thousand, six thousand max. So you were right on top of the action, and I sat right above where the visitors came in and out. So, oh man, I, have you ever seen the video clip where Steve Martinson attacks a guy when he's in street clothes? Yes. 
Yeah, it's on my YouTube I, I channel, was, actually. Yeah. I was sitting right above that when that happened. <laughs> there you go. I was there for that. That was, that was like, bizarre. It, and seeing it from the, the camera angle is even more bizarre because it's like, oh, my gosh, that's what was going on down there? Because it was just a ruckus, but, you know. But, yeah, Adirondack was uh, – was was a great they always did a good job stocking the team and i saw a lot of good players go through there it was it was sadly they weren't a huge like tough guy organization for the most part like a lot of years were kind of lean but we had our share i saw you know dennis vl i saw you know Tomlinson and Cummins and McCarty and Probert and McCray. I saw a lot. I saw a lot of guys, but um, you know they weren't quite as beefy as, like, say, the Bears or the Maine Mariners or somebody like that. But it was still awesome. Oh, 80s AHL, early 90s AHL. Man, uh, that, that's where it's at, man. That was, you know, you watch all that some of that old stuff that's out there. Like, well, we were talking before with the. The, ni- the early 90s uh, Adirondack stuff that I have on disc, and it's like, oh, Cummins and BL and Tomlinson, and it's just like McCarty fighting every night, Primo, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, that's just great, man. Fiorentino and Tomlinson killing each other. and well, yeah, <laughs> Tremendous. Tremendous. It was some good stuff. I also, one of my favorite things to watch was I also saw Randy McKay develop, yes. which was really fun. He... You know, he came in and he started fighting. And man, I felt like I was coaching him from the stand sometimes. I'm like, all right, Randy, go with the uppercut. And I'll, next, next thing I know, he's starting the uppercut. I don't really take credit for it, but I was <laughs> up in the stands just watching him improve, you know, up through a whole season. And I'm like, wow, that was really, that was really cool. He was, he was fun to watch. Um, you know, another guy that was a really, really, really good AHL fighter. And he was he was a decent NHL fighter too, but Chris King yep. really was had a big year for us. He he was solid. I mean, you know, it, it's funny how some guys translate that and move up to the NHL, and some guys just they don't. They're like really good down on in the in the AHL, but they don't really bring it to the NHL because yep. to this day, Lou Crawford played for us for one year. And man, he was fantastic. He was tough, tough, tough. But the one glimpse you see of him in the NHL, his little cups of coffee he got at the, you know, just he just didn't show anything, and it was kind of, it was kind of weird actually. I I don't know. I don't know what happened with that. But man, he was he was great for us for a year. We won the Calder Cup that year too with him and McKay and a whole bunch of. Solid, tough defenseman. It was a fun year. So, well, yeah, I was gonna but, say, didn't the the Red Wings didn't they lose McCabe with the Crowder thing? Is that how they lost? Yes, him? yeah, they did. And I was not happy about that. Like, we, we tr- the Red Wings traded closer because I think that they felt strong with the Probert McKay tandem, yeah. and McKay was probably a little bit better of a player than Coser, so. That made sense, but then when they lost him, which I didn't even understand that like whole thing, sign Crowder, and I, I didn't get that. That was a that was a little bit of a bitter pill for me to swallow because everybody knows about the Crowder run, but by the end of the year, he 
wasn't really even doing all that much. You know, it's like he kind of got replaced by Jamie Cuscroft that year, if I remember correctly. So, well, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've done the whole Crowder dissection of myth versus reality with Crowder. I said Crowder was that Crowder had four good fights in the NHL. That was my yes, you know, but uh, but you're this not isn't about Troy. Crowder. I agree. We talk about him, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. It was nothing. It was very, it was exciting at the time. But, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It, in retrospect, it was like, wow. And I'm not sure why. And that turned out to be a really, really bad deal for the the Wings because, well, you see what McKay did for New Jersey all those years. And, oh, what a great you know, career. Crowder, what a great career he turned out to have. Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. And Crowder, he played like six games. I don't even know how many he did. Yeah, a zero just, impact. Yeah, he got injuries, and I think you know, and yep. documented, you know, his heart just wasn't into it. He was just never liked the nope. role, and you know, and you know that happens. But uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, no, Adirondack. Yeah, I mean, I could, uh, I think I could, I could pick your brain all night over uh, old AHL stuff. But uh, you also want you were something about uh, underrated. You were talking about. Yes, we were talking about underrated fighters, and you know, I, I. The subject is kind of funny because I think you said it when we were talking before. How do you judge underrated? Because you hear that all the time. Oh, he's an underrated fighter. He's an under. He's overrated. He's underrated. How do you really? I, I mean, what's your what's your medium for that? So yeah, exactly. you know, what, what's the average? Yeah. But I, I did come up with a, a small list of guys that I always felt were underrated fighters. And I, I left out guys like Dirk Graham and Steve Thomas and guys that that could go, but it wasn't really part of their game. They just, when they did it, you were like, wow, he can fight pretty good. But yeah. it wasn't anything that they did enough where you could say, wow, he's an underrated. But I, I came up with a little list. So the, the first one I think that's underrated is Kevin McClellan. And I've really, when he, when, when I watched him play in the eighties, I couldn't stand him. You know, I, I just didn't like him. He had a weird, you know, he did a weird thing with his helmet all the time. And he kind of looked mean and he, he was, but man, watching him now and how he could just put his head down and just go toe to toe with almost anybody. He didn't win all the time, but man, he was in a lot of fights against a lot of tough guys. Probert, Ben Wilson, John Cordick. I mean, Wow. I, so I, I think McClellan might be, I don't know if you'd consider him underrated because McSorley and Semenko got most of the press out there, but man, he, you watch his fights now and he had some doozies, man. No, I completely agree. You know? No. And, uh, Kevin McClellan, uh, absolutely man. And, uh, yeah, let, get that left going. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's a guy I, yeah, it's one of those things, right? Because especially when you get to Edmonton, because it was always about Semenko and McSorley, and you mm-hmm. and I just sort of slept on McClellan really, and until I got, I, it was must it was just a mixed '80s DVD, and I'm sitting here one night and I'm watching it, and I mean I had seen McClellan fight, I knew he was a tough guy, I wasn't like who's this? I mean I knew who he was and everything, but until you start yeah, really yeah. watching a guy, and it's like goddamn, like this. Yeah. yeah, and like you said, he's a pretty he decent was, player. Like, I'm just looking at this 11, 12, 10-goal seasons. Like, so he wasn't just yep. some goof. So it was like, no, you know, but yeah, 200 minutes, four straight years. And, you know, and uh, yeah, he could go, man. And that fight with him and Cordick, 
in the preseason there oh. it's Cordick's first NHL yeah. fight. Like, that's awesome, that tilt. Yep. yep. And uh, he has a fight with Ben Wilson where he might have actually edged out Ben, which if you can do that, yep. I mean, Ben Wilson's my number two fighter of all time. So yep. I, that's that's a good that that to me is a pretty good accomplishment. But another guy who, strangely enough, these guys had a little bit of a feud, and this guy is almost like a a bizarre case sometimes. Paul Baxter, a, another guy that when he wanted to, he could just start throwing those lefts, and he was he was really pretty good. He was a solid lefty, but. He also would turtle sometimes, and he would use his stick a lot. He's just a strange guy, but as a fighter, I think he was a little bit better than probably people give him credit for these days, or maybe yeah. not these days. Who the heck's even talking about him? But I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think who, while I was talking to him about him to someone, and I can't remember who it was now, but they said the same thing, and they said, you know what was too bad? Um and I mean that was part of his game, and that's you know that's what he needed to do to be successful. And I understand that and he's a cheap yes. and everything else. Yeah, he was a but, pest. Oh yeah, but it was almost like he didn't need to. Like there was a bunch of stuff when he suckered guys. He was a tough enough guy. He didn't need to do that. Nope, he didn't. But he did. And and just, I guess I I agree. <laughs> he didn't need to, but he did. Yeah, and I mean, but, but I get what you're saying. I, yes, yeah. Um, so those two, and those two had a couple good fights with each other. I think they had like a three-fight series. Yep. Kevin Mack won two of them, but Paul did really well in one of them. And gave, you got to give him a clean win. But so those two guys are, you know, two guys that I think of that were really underrated. Another guy that a lot of people—he's almost polarizing when you mention his name. But Jim Kite, yeah, I think his losses were so outrageously like stunning to watch that you forget that he has wins over Koser. He has wins over Brown. He has wins over McSorley and Tim Hunt. I mean, he had for a, for a while in the eighties, he was mentioned as one of the heavyweight champs of the league. It, you know, it wasn't universal, but I heard that and read that a lot back in the eighties. And when you go back and watch his, his whole work, he was a good fighter. He was big, strong, you know, yep. had a nice punch. It was it was a really nice, I mean. Yeah, but, like you said, man. It's, the, it's the losses are so spectacular, right? But And the other thing yeah. hurts him, he's out in the 80s, he's out in Winnipeg, so no one can see him. No one sees him yep. out in Winnipeg in the, in the early to mid-80s because they just weren't on TV and there's no center ice pass, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So a lot of that stuff's lost. But, yeah, but he's a big dude that would fight wide open. So in doing that. Yep. Well, there you go. And unfortunately, now there's a good night, Jim Kite, and all that shit. And, you know, and yep. everybody remembers the coaster thing and the Ray thing and do all the Dave Brown, Jesus. You know, but, you know, <laughs> but the dude was, yeah, the guy was tougher than shoe leather and would. Yeah, he and, was. And, and like I said, you're, like you, you're right. In the early, early mid 80s there, he didn't get his due from people. No. I think the no. people within it, hockey, like the people, like the fighters knew how tough he was. But oh, like, yeah. the fans, I think, yeah, like you said, they see the knockouts and kind of just think he's a punching bag, and it's like, no, he wasn't. He was legit. Yeah, I mean, it's almost funny with the Brown thing, because Brown, you know, started the lawnmower on him, but if you go back a few years, 
Kite smoked him down in a, with a punch, knocked yeah. Dave down, and he kind of jumped on him and pounded on him a little bit. So yeah. maybe it was just a maybe it was a little bit of payback. Who knows? Oh, guaranteed. <laughs> yep. Yep. They got those guys got long <laughs> memories. Yeah, for sure. So, yep. No, these are, these are good. You ones. know, and another guy that I think is underrated, although maybe he's not anymore because it's one. It's like the old. I'm so underrated that I'm now I'm overrated type of guy. But Mark Jansen's was a fine fighter. Boy, he was. I still remember that fight him and Chickeran had in when Jansen's was on the Rangers. Oh my gosh, that was quite possibly the most vicious fight I I'd seen. It was like woof. But I thought Mark Jansen's was a really really good fighter, and he never really was a number one, but he could play and. I do believe he was a center too. Yes, he which, was a very solid center too. It, yes, yeah, which made it kind of neat that you could you could have like a full line of tough guys. Like usually the center had to be like somebody just like picking up gloves for Jay Miller and Willie Plett or something. But the, in this case, it's like you plunk him in the middle, and man, you got one tough line going on. <laughs> I, I but, love Mark Jansen. He, I'm so glad you brought that guy's name up. He is awesome, and he is yes, you're right, completely underrated. And uh, could fight with anybody. Big dude. His fight with Kent Russell is awesome. His fight with uh, oh Quintal and Cummins and yeah, yep. he, he was in some great fights. And yeah, so people, if you're listening, there's a name you should look up. Mark Jansen. Check that guy out. He's uh, he's tremendous. Yeah, I'm with you. This is, a, this is a hell of a list so far. You're doing a bang up job, Jim. You're talking <laughs> you. yourself into a tart too. I'm telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> Another guy, uh, Jay Wells. I mean, absolutely out there in L.A. for all those years. Yep, he's got some sneaky. Like, uh, it's hard to tell because every Fatou fight is kind of strange. But it, he, I think he might have even knocked uh, Nick Fatou down. He had some fierce fights. Uh, well, even late in his career, didn't he have like a, yeah. a, a two patty stack with uh, Brad May? Yeah. That was so that was a, really like, like a three fight night with Dave Brown. He did, he did. In fact, uh, you know, the first fight was kind of like just kind of even. In the second fight, Jay kind of kind of mugged him a little bit. But since that was Dave Brown's, like, hey, what can you do? You do it every all the time yeah. too. So fair is fair and Jay drilled him with some shots and then I had a really nice toe-to-toe fight at the end where Brownie kind of knocked him down he was you know it was Dave Brown he's got a big huge reach and that swooping punch of his and but Jay stood right in there and landed some too so I he was just a, a, a rugged guy like you got him back on your defense, you know that the crease is going to stay clear. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. You know, yep. it, I had a soft spot for guys like that. And, you know, it's just a slight Adirondack sidebar. I, I loved watching Barry Melrose at the end of his career keep the crease clean. <laughs> Holy freaking cross check city. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the funny thing, too. You know, like you said with Melrose, I think people always just think, oh, the LA coach, the mullet, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus and all that shit. But. Melrose back when he played, he was he's oh of, yeah he'd get it. I'm you know he was I, a, I don't think anybody was saying he was Tony Twist or anything, but I mean he'd get into it. Nope. But no, he, he wasn't a great fighter. But to be honest, he was probably a a. I, I don't want to insult anybody with this, but he was probably better at like 
playing that style defense than Tony Twist was. I mean, Twist would beat him in a fight, but boy, Barry kept that. You stood in front of that crease, he was going to make you pay. And, you know, he'd be doing it on the penalty kill. And so, but yeah, I know what you're saying. He wasn't the, a heavyweight champ contender or anything, but man, those guys, I, I really have a soft spot for those types of players. Like, I have kind of a list here that, that we can go through fast because I know we're on a, I don't want to keep you forever here. You got other things that you have to do too, but, uh, I got Lee Norwood, Gordon and Larry Melnick. They're all like cut from the same cloth. They're well, just tough. It's so funny. You mentioned, guys. You mentioned Melnick. Well, there's the big fight with Brown, right? That's, I just, Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know what people forget? And I don't, I, that fight, was the same game that Brown cross-checked Sandstrom. Yep. And I, to this day, when I saw it, I felt that Brown might have been a little annoyed that I think Melnick got the best of him. It was close, but Brown knew he was in a fight, and Melnick gave him, like, a, a tongue lashing of sorts. He kind of wished there was a, you know, a microphone down there to hear what he was saying, but he was really, I mean, the fight happened. I, I gave Mel, uh, Melnick the edge, and man, then he gave him some real big lip service at the end too. Yep, kind of like Jay Miller style. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was funny you mentioned it because I was watching a DVD the other night. I can't remember what I was doing. I was burning it for somebody or something, and I, that whole sequence was on there. The Melnick fight, then the Sandstrom cross check was on there. And, yeah, yeah, and I mean, I forgot. Like, well, I remember seeing it, and I've seen it a hundred times, but it's been forever since I saw it. I forgot how brutal that cross check on Sandstrom was. Oh, oh yeah, that was. I was crazy. watching that game on TV when it happened, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Well, it's just like you're wow. watching it, and it's just like, like the thing with McSorley and Brashear, It's kind of like, oh, I was trying to hit him in the arm. Like you can see the argument. I don't believe Marty when he says it, but it's kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe you were trying to hit him on the shoulder. Maybe you know whatever. Right. Fucking Brown and Sandstrom. There was no doubt what Brown was trying to do. It wasn't like, oh, I was no. trying to hit him in the ribs. <laughs> yeah, not like, at all. No, you were trying to take his and, head clean off. Yeah. Yes, and the I don't know, if, Darren. I don't know if you've ever seen this clip. Um, it was Dave Brown. I, I don't know if he was in a comedy club or something during a suspension. Yes. Yeah. He. He put on a helmet with a freaking stick going through it. I yeah. I remember seeing it once, and it's like it, it didn't go over too well. But <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that uh, yeah. But you got to give Melnick credit. He took on guys like that. He fought Prober. He fought Richter. You know, Cordic. He fought these guys. Sometimes he didn't do good, but man, every once in a while he would get that left yeah. cooking or his right cooking, and it just was smooth. And Gordonine was similar. He had a nice left. I, 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 I kind of like all the Denines because, uh, you know, Bill Denine coached the Adirondack Red Wings for years, and uh, Peter Denine, who is Bill Denine's son, Gordonine's brother, Kevin Denine's brother. I, I used to work out in a gym, and I used to talk with him all the time. And he was a really good guy, and we would talk fights. It was the only player in my whole life that I ever like had that kind of communication with and he was he was a really really solid guy but and, and not a bad fighter himself um oh man the Denise was tough Ke- man Denise Kevin Denise yeah. had a great great career Gord Denise had a great career yeah they were you know uh they didn't back down like you know no 
Solid guys. And the last guy on my list, and uh, this guy, man, if he had fought more, uh, Bob Rouse was yep. just strong, had a hard punch. You know, I, I'll still remember that fight with him and Clark. It was like, whew, yep. man, he was he was stand-up. Like, he, he just seemed stronger than a lot of guys. I don't know any other way to describe it. <laughs> and oh he threw some hard punches, uh, that's kind of my list of underrated guys that, you know, I'm, there's there's dozens of them, but off the top of my head, that that's a group of guys that, man, you don't hear that much about them, but then when you start watching their fights, you're like, whew, those guys can go. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that was a great list, man. That was, uh, no, that was cool. Like I said, it's unfortunate, you know, with the time thing I'm trying to do with this show. No. Whatever, but I'm definitely going to have you back on the show. And uh, I, I, I'm going to pick your brain on this more of this Adirondack stuff. We're going to get some more information. I love it. Because like you said, that stuff's not out there, right? So, I mean, you're going to No, be, it's not. Yeah, so I think people would be definitely interested in hearing that. And I want to kind of go into more kind of some – because, I mean, I'd, you know, we got tons of Probert fans that listen. So kind of want to get into some Probert Adirondack stuff with you. i got some questions for you about that too. So, But anyway, awesome. um, I want to thank you today for coming on. I really appreciate it. I want to thank you for inviting me. It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, talking fights, you just don't get to do it anymore, really, and it's just been a pleasure. So you're doing a fantastic job, too. I love listening to your your stuff and your rants and your guests. It's all it's all awesome. So well, I, appreciate I, I that. thank you. Well, I thank you. you because you're keeping it alive for us. Well, thank but, you. you. You read you read that just like I wrote it. I really appreciate that. So. <laughs> No, I, no I appreciate problem. you taking the time to listen, and 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 uh, no, it's cool. It's been cool, man. I dig it. Me too. It's been a, a definite pleasure, and any you know, any time. I you got a lot more, a lot better guests than me out there. So whenever it's all cool, I always have the Adirondack stories for you. But oh shit, no matter what, a lot better hosts out there than me too. So we, we won't judge it that way. So no, no, we'll get you back on for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right, here we are on episode 200. Another guest here from uh, former Peoria Riverman season ticket holder. we got Jeff on the line. Jeff, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Darren. How are you? Very good, man. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, like I said, I, we were kind of just talking off air here. We're kind of like, what are we going to talk about? Well, I, I remember you back from the old fried chicken days and, and had a few old FC guests. I just actually, I didn't tell you that, but I just actually hung up with old Jungle from FC. He went as Jungle on F, a fried chicken. I just had him on. So, uh, wow. yeah, yeah. We're, uh, what was your, what did you go by on FC? I was Kimball 29. There you go. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk. Of, uh, we are gonna talk a Darren Kimball story here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. how long were you a, a Riverman season ticket holder for? Let's see, uh, roughly ten years, eleven years. Yeah, you were saying it was like ninety six, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I actually. I was, I was rethinking that. I think our we got our season tickets in ninety seven. Yep. So it would have been about ten years. <clears throat> Yeah, well, you guys, and of course in Peoria, there there is some. Uh, well, hell, they got Tony Twist number retired for God's sake. I mean, there's some tough dudes that have rolled through town. Yeah, for sure. Well, and uh, while well, we'll go to your namesake here, Kimball, um, 
he stopped in and played uh, 10 games with the Rivermen. And you were telling me a little story about him and Jason Payne having a little rivalry. <clears throat> yeah, the uh, <clears throat> Dayton Bombers had Jason Payne, noted tough guy. And, of course, their, uh, their fans were chirping on the message board about how tough Payne was and if Payne and Kimball ever fought, Payne would knock Kimball out and all this nonsense. So <clears throat> sure enough, they Dayton comes to town and then I'm uh, all excited because I think I know what's going to happen. And uh, that was the beginning of the season of, uh, was that in the 99 season, I think. And they uh, end up first shift. They're out on the ice. They drop the gloves and, uh, I watched uh, Jason Payne land a hard right right on the chin of Kimball, and Kimball buckled, and down he went, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, Kimball had said after that after that fight because he had to be helped off the ice, and he obviously couldn't skate; he was holding his leg up, so he had twisted his knee and injured his knee. And a lot of people thought that during the course of the fight, he got his skate caught in a groove and twisted his knee and went down. But from where I was sitting and I had pretty good seats, I, I saw a punch land. I, that I saw that happen and that's what caused him to go down and twist his knee. So that's me. So can't speak for everybody, <laughs> <laughs> but they did have the rematch. They did. Uh, two months later in December of that season, Kimball came back. And the, the first game against Dayton, again, the very first shift, they're out there, and Kimball calmly lays his gloves down on the ice and skates over to the uh, center ice logo, and Payne throws his off, and they square up right at center ice, and the whole place was going bonkers, and they went toe-to-toe, no defense, just grab on, throwing rights, both guys throwing rights, and uh, Kimball landed a couple of beauties, man, right on the button, right on the nose, had Pain bloodied, blood was pouring all over his sweater, and uh, they kind of grabbed on after, I mean, they were just throwing just jackhammers for seconds, you know, like, like 10, 12 seconds, just throwing hard, just quick punches, and then the linesman got in there and split him up, and old Payne, he went right to the dress room, and that was the end of his night, and Kimball was excited, threw his arms in the air, and he went and skated over to the penalty box, whole place was going crazy. So it was a it was a good rematch for uh, Kimball. He got his revenge and won the battle, and that was a good time. <laughs> well, there you go. And it was it's funny when we talk about the Rippermen. Um, man, I was I was kind of going through their rosters, and I and I really wish that uh, it, too bad you didn't have access to the game tapes in two thousand two, two thousand three. Oh man, tell me about it. yeah. Because I'm looking at that roster, and for those wondering, here li- listen to this. This is these guys are all on the same team. Trevor Baker, Jason Lawmaster, Anthony Belza, Brad Voth, Jeremy Yablonski, and Trevor Gillies on one team. And Ryan Finnerty. And Ryan Finnerty. Like, come Who on. Who was also pretty tough. Yeah. yeah. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, those games must have been just the Royal Rumble when you went to those. Those games were a blast, man, for sure. When I remember the season before that, uh, Jason Christie was the coach, and he had brought in Anthony Belza from Toledo. And having seen Belza playing against the Rivermen, I was like, oh, yeah, man, this guy Belza, he's, he's a good player and he's tough. You know, he's not like 
sits on the bench all the time, comes out and fights. He, he played all the time. He's a defenseman. And when we got him and then the next season, you're, you're seeing the names you just, you just listed. I was like, what? Wow. I mean, Jason Christie means business here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he had a, he had a line he called his nickel package. And that was Trevor Baker at center. And he had Yablonski and Voss on the wing. And then Belza and uh, Gillies on defense. How's that? Could you imagine? You'd, you'd hear war <laughs> drums start. What did you, um, yeah, what did you think when you first saw Yablonski? Well, I remember meeting him. The paper had articles about him because he came from uh, the West Coast League, right? Yeah. Um, he was uh, playing in Idaho or Water Steelheads. Yep. So we had, for all the season ticket holders, they had a preseason meet the team type deal. And, the paper had, you know, spoken highly of this guy, and they had some quotes in there from him where he had said, "Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm known for some fisticuffs, and I'm not, I'm not shy to say I don't lose many fights at all. I do my job, and I, I, I win." So when we saw him at the get together, we introduced ourselves. Me and my dad, I'm talking, and uh, you know, like, man, I'm glad to have you on the team. You know, it's awesome that you know a guy your stature and. My dad, my pops was just, he was just stoked, man. He's like, he's like, we've been needing a, a guy like you on the team for years now, you know? And so we had high hopes and, man, he obviously, he didn't let anybody down, man, because that dude was scary tough, especially then, you know? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't quite as big as he got when he was in the HL and stuff later on, but man, he just, he was terrifying, you know, just, just scary looking dude and. Man, when he fought, man, he just, he fucked people up. Um, I think a lot of people in the East Coast League were very leery of, of the team that year because he had, like you said, Belza, or Yablonski Belza, Jason Lawmaster, and, you know, Trevor Baker, 165 pounds soaking wet, fight anyone, you know, and just never give up. That dude never quit. So it was, it was a great time to, to be at the games and be a, a fan of the team and just see all these cool players and, you know, get to meet them sometimes after the games. They'd come down to the – they had a bar at the Civic Center in the basement. You could just hang out and drink, and a lot of times they'd come down there. So it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. Do, do, do you have any, like, memorable fights that kind of stick out in your mind, like like the Kimball well, Payne one? <clears throat> I got – there is one I remember, Yablonski. I remember Yablonski – fucking up a lot of people fairly quickly but there's one fight that i remember that cracked me up because he was fighting a, a dude that had been on our team and uh you know i can't remember his name but um keesman mike keesman i think it was and keesman had only been on the team a short time i think and i don't remember too much about him i think he had a little bit of a reputation you know whatever it was but I, I, he got traded to another team, and Yablonski had a broken right hand, and he was playing with a with a cast up to his elbow. So uh, they line up on a face off, and I could see him talking. And I I sat right behind the uh, visitors penalty box when I had my season tickets, and they had the face off right there, uh, just outside the blue line, and <clears throat> I could see Yablonski talking to Keesman, and 
Yablonski was holding up his hand, you know, his cast, and just and then he puts his arm behind his back. Like, I'll fight you with one hand, you know, that kind of gesture. <laughs> so they dropped the puck, and the, yeah, Yablonski just, he didn't even use it right, but he just knocked Kiesman, I mean, just silly, busted his teeth out of his mouth. The linesmen were picking up Kiesman's teeth. After that, I mean, it didn't last long. It was right, it was right in front of me. I mean, it just grabbed him and pow, just there goes teeth. So, yeah, Jablonski was a tough son of a bitch for sure. He, yeah, he he literally beat the guy with one hand behind his back. There you go. One hand, yeah. He just, I mean, he's got the cast, and he's like, dude, I got one hand. You got two hands. You could see him like Keesman being like, well, now I got to. What am I gonna do? You know, I got back down from the dude challenged me with a cast. You know, and he's going to use one hand. I got to go. So, I mean, he tried, but yeah, I just go to show you. He just, Gifalonsky was in a, just a different league, man, as far as fights. He, he just, he had everything. He was fast. He, he could go for a while. If somebody was just grabbing on and trying to last, outlast him and stuff, uh, he had good stamina. So it was fun to watch him. Yeah, well, and there, both hands, and he had like that boxer kind of mentality. And yeah. For sure, yeah. Well, another guy, of course, you know, legendary tough guy, um, Trevor Gillies. And, of course, he was there really early in his career, like his third year as a pro or whatever, right out of junior. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any memories of Gillies there? There's one that stands out, and I'm trying to dredge my memory up. Um, the Riverman were playing the Lexington, Lexington Mental War. And yes. they had Jay Bannock and Mike Segroy on that team. Yep. And they came they came to Peoria and when Christie sent out the, the nickel package to start the game, it was fairly obvious what was gonna be going on, right? You know? I mean, unless you're just a goof and don't know. Um and then, you know, got Jay Bannock and Segroy line up and right at the drop of the at the puck it was uh was it was it Segroy and Gillies that went. I know that Segroy wanted Yablonski, but Yablonski let Gillies take him. I think it was Gillies. And then Yablonski fought Bannock right after that. They had another puck drop. So that was how that game started. But yeah, um, Gillies was another guy. I, I remember him when he was on an opposing team. I'm trying to remember. He played for uh, Trenton, I think, or. I can't remember for sure. Um, but I remember him coming in and fighting somebody and just – he's a lefty and he just – he totally screwed up somebody. I can't remember who he fought. But uh, I was like, man, that guy's tough and big. And, yeah, so. Yeah. Gilly, yeah it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they – well, like you said, it, it was kind of – they kind of – the Peoria team's kind of gone through a few incarnations. They Like, first they were in the IHL. Back in the day, yeah. Twist and Chase and all them were around. And then, of course, you go into the East Coast League in the times that we're talking about. Uh, and then, of course, they went into the American League and, of course, and then the Southern Pro. But when you, of course, you were still involved going to the East Coast and to the American League, uh, what did you prefer as a fan going to? Uh, honestly, um, I liked the uh, East Coast League hockey that they played. Seriously, I mean, it just... Yeah, it wasn't as skilled, it wasn't as fast, it wasn't as crisp, but, and I did appreciate that when I saw the AHL guys play, you know, for sure, 
but there was just um, there's just there's just something about those teams back then in the East Coast League. Um, you had so many characters, yeah. And it just was it wasn't just the, the Riverman. You know, we had like you had Tyler Willis on our team. You know, there's yep. a, that I mean that guy was just he was awesome. You know, and and that the, they would come and they would mix with the fans, like I said, down at the bar, and they would go to the pubs in town there and they 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 drink with you and talk to you and the the, the hl guys sometimes would do that but but not a lot and i think you know because they maybe they just had more that they had to deal with as far as their profession goes and i don't know for sure but yeah there was just a, a just a fun like atmosphere with the east coast teams that came to play and going on the road trips, the, the fans and everybody was just super like, you know, that's your team. And there's a lot of fan rivalry, like, you know, serious rivalry. So yeah, I think those, those years that I uh, was a season ticket holder, I, I preferred the East coast team over the AHL team for sure. Just, just more fun. Had more fun with it. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You said what, when did you, when, when did your season ticket stops stop? We we stopped in I think it was two thousand nine. So you were there for Reeves, right, Ryan Reeves? Yeah, I was there for Reeves, Eric Nielsen, uh, Nielsen, um, Peluso, Hans Benson. Uh, Hans Benson was there. I saw Hans Benson knock a guy out uh, his first game up. Actually, um, that was fun. Uh, yeah, there was some tough characters that came through. Uh, Fitzpatrick or Fitzgerald, I mean, was there? Oh, yes. um, yeah, Well, it's. Well, I'll say with, of course, he's a, such a polarizing figure on the message boards and everything else, or message boards, I guess nowadays it's fight, Facebook groups nowadays. Um, is Ryan Reeves? When you were watching him with the Rivermen, did you did you look at him as like that's going to be the future NHL champ? I did not. <clears throat> I look. I. I thought Reeves would, after I saw him the first two seasons I saw him, after the second season, I had a feeling he would probably play up in the NHL, but his game kind of evolved from early on. He was more just, he forechecked hard. He skated hard. He was more of a, just a third, fourth liner. Uh, but he was, you could tell he was trying to work on his skill set also, just, just the way he played. And when he did fight, it's not like he wasn't afraid to fight. He would fight. But, you know, at the time, they had other people there to do that, too. And Reeves looked uh, just out of sorts a lot of times early on when he was fighting. He looked off balance. He looked like he wasn't sure exactly. I mean, you look at those East Coast League teams, and you're talking Gillies, Jablonski, those guys that when they fought, that you know they knew what the hell they were doing right off the bat. There was no fucking around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Reeves just, he looked a little out of sorts. And I, I, I told uh, another guy that uh, I, I sat uh, next to, his name was Greg, and uh, we used to talk about the fights and stuff. And when there was a dude from uh, Lake Erie, the Monsters, it was Mitch Love. I saw Mitch Love fight uh, somebody on our team when he was with Lake Erie. And Mitch Love is like, a Trevor Baker sized dude, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's not, he's not real big. And he just 
technically, I think it was, it might have, who was it? I can't remember for sure. Sorry, man. But he was fighting a much bigger dude, and he just, like, out outskilled this dude. I mean, out-technical this dude. Duck punches, grab here, grab there, hold on, and then throw, hold on, throw, and just had this dude stymied, you know? And uh, when he came over to Peoria, and all of a sudden, it seemed like Reeves started to change how he fought and seemed to kind of figure some things out. And I was talking to this dude, Greg, I'm like, you think Mitch Love might have, like, showed Reeves some, some pointers about, you know, balance and how to do this and that and the other thing? Because it, it sure looked like this because he, he turned into a different kind of fighter after, after Mitch Love joined the team. That's, there's no doubt about that. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. I mean, I have no, no way to prove that or, you know, no one has ever said anything to me, but you know, I just say he went from being kind of gangly looking like a baby deer or giraffe or whatever sometimes. And then all of a sudden he's just smoking people, you know, and keeping his balance and changing hands and just kind of odd coincidence if you ask me. So, well, yeah, well, there you go. I'm sure it, ha- yeah. Cause I mean, love has been around and fought every, put up <clears throat> a ton of minutes, fought everybody. So yeah, I'm sure he probably helped out Reeves. Definitely. Well, yeah. before I let you go, the one name you br- you briefly brought him up, and I know his jersey's getting retired in Kalamazoo, and I'm a huge fan. But how 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 great was Tyler Willis? <laughs> Tyler Willis was was just awesome. He was an awesome player to watch. He'd talk to you after the game in the bars. Uh, he he just a, a just a good dude, just cool, fun. Uh, when he played. You knew you were getting a hundred percent, no matter what, no matter if there was a fight or not. You knew you were getting a hundred percent. He could play hockey. He could score. He hit. He wasn't afraid of anyone. Um, he left everything on the ice every game. He just he played his ass off. He was so fun to watch. And uh, I, I remember talking to him a few times in in the bars after games and stuff. And he had kind of a rivalry with a a guy named Blaine McCauley that played for Dayton. And they were similar size, and uh, they just had some some fucking wars, man. No shit. And uh, I remember talking to Tyler one time, like, man, that's a, you know, that Macaulay and you, you guys sure go at it. You guys, you know, this is like the fourth time you fought, blah, blah. He's like, he just had a beard in his hand. He's just like, yeah, yeah, he can throw them. And that was about all he said. You know what I mean? He was just all, like, calm and no big deal. So, yeah, he was he was a blast to watch. I was I was so glad that uh, I was able to see him for the years he was here for sure. Yeah, no, I was always a massive Willis fan, and like you said, solid player too, and uh, had a great career. Yeah. career. And it's cool that Kalamazoo's recognizing him, but uh, yeah, he Willis is outstanding. But uh, yeah, yeah, man. Well, I hate to like cut you, like I said, or doing these short segments. I hate to cut you off because I'm I'm really enjoying this Peoria talk because. I think you could go all night with, you know, with more Eric Nielsen and Benson stuff and Brett Shuffelmeyer and all of them. But, uh, well, I would certainly, if when you have time, uh, I'd like to have you back on and we can kind of do a, a, a more in-depth episode and I can pick your brain a little more. Yeah, sure, man. Absolutely. I'd love it. Well, I want to, I want to, again, I want to thank you very much for, uh, for coming on today. Yeah, man, you're more than welcome, Darren. It's, uh, it's been a long time coming, eh? Absolutely. Yeah. From the fried chicken to a podcast here with a full circle. Yeah. Right on. All right, we're back here. I, I, here I am telling Jeff, I'm wishing him adios here, and he brought up, as we're off air, Rocky Thompson. Who I, how do I forget Rocky Thompson in Peoria? 
what was Rocky <laughs> Hockey like in there? It was awesome. And, you know, we had the, the teams in the East Coast League that were super tough and everything. But I remember the first time I went to uh, see Rocky play for the Rivermen. Uh, and there was a play, and a play, the whistle blew the play dead. And uh, there was a guy chirping at one of the Rivermen player, And all of a sudden, Thompson just comes out of the blue and just grabs this dude and, like, you know, pushes him up against the glass and in his face. I'm like, holy shit, this dude means fucking business. And there wasn't even anything really going on. So I was like, all right, you know, I mean, Rocky Thompson living up to his reputation. So, yeah, like I was uh, I was saying, what what re- what jogged my memory was when uh, the Rivermen were playing, I think it was the uh, Iowa team at the time <clears throat> that was the uh, affiliate for the Wilds. Uh, and they had John Scott on the team. And, you know, John Scott's huge, right? He's like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, whatever he is, just, you know, big-ass dude. And I'm thinking, God damn, this guy gets in a fight. He's going to kill somebody. And sure enough, you know, Rocky was kind of running around and whatnot, and him and Scott were behind, uh, I think it was their net, and – they dropped the gloves, and I'm like, oh, shit, I hope I hope Rocky don't get, you know, just put in the hospital or something. And it was a, it was a fucking awesome thing. He he grabbed the hold, and he had one hand up, on, on like boxer pose, man, like to block punches. And Scott would throw a punch, and he'd kind of duck, and he'd duck, and he'd block it with his left, and he'd come in with a right and pop him in the jaw, and just and they'd hold on, they'd switch, and they'd do the same thing, get the elbow up, and he was blocking punches, then he'd pop. Scott, and he wasn't really, he wasn't throwing punches that are going to necessarily knock Scott out, but he's just peppering him, you know what I mean? And Scott was just throwing, he's throwing rights at, you know, trying to get in there, and he's not landing shit. And it was awesome to see because, you know, that was like the really first time I saw a guy fight on the ice like that and just use, like, boxing defense. Like, he had his arm, because he knew, you know, this dude's 6'8", 200 70 pounds or whatever, and, you know, if he hits you, he's going to probably hurt you. And he just used all these great technical tactics, and he just <laughs> he just fucked this dude up, man. That was great. Uh, just You could just see the frustration on Scott's face. He came skating to the box after, and he's just shaking his head. He's like, what just, what just happened? You know, and Rocky, he's all smiles. So that was that was one of the first fights I remember seeing Rocky, and it was, it was awesome. And he, uh, he fought uh, – who was the ball-headed guy that played for uh, the L.A. Kings briefly? Oh, Ryan Flynn? Flynn. He fought Flynn, too, and he kind of did the same thing with Flynn. Uh, he had him kind of out of sorts. And Flynn, you know, it's a big dude also. And, uh, you know, Rocky, not that Rocky's small, but what is Rocky? You know, like six one or six foot and like 200 pounds, right? Yeah. Something like that. And Flynn, you know, another six four, six five dude and – did kind of the same thing. Had him all frustrated and kind of wore him out and won the fight. So it was fu- it was fun to watch Rocky fight. He he was in a different a different league for sure. Not just a not just a guy that just stands toe to toe. You know, at that point in his career, you know, he was kind of winding down. Uh, he wasn't a young guy anymore. So um, it was cool to see that he he could still do it, but just in a different way. So it was fun. All right, here we go on the on that 200th episode 
all the way over the pond in Manchester. I got Sam on the line. Sam, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? Very good. Well, I'm glad we could finally good. do this. I know we've talked I know, a lot it's been here. a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, uh, we were just saying with the time difference and everything else, it's kind of hard to connect sometimes. But I kept you up late tonight, and here we are. We're here. We're finally doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, with this with this show, like I was telling you, kind of have, I'm having a bunch of different guests on, and we're kind of doing 15, 20-minute segments and stuff, and just yapping about whatever, whatever topic seems to come up. And uh, um, like I said, I really had no plan for this. <laughs> so, but I got you here now. Um, wh- when did you, uh, and especially with the UK, uh, uh, you know, I had John on, Searson, uh, a few weeks ago, and he kind of talked about how the sport of hockey is like a real niche product over in the in the UK. Uh, yeah. When did you get involved? What drew you to the game? And, and when did you get involved in it? So what drew me to the game sad to admit but it was mighty ducks 2 when i was 10 years old in 95 there you go my, my mum and dad got a blockbuster video and we rented mighty ducks 2 and it was the bash brothers as they called themselves yep uh and then it just so happened that manchester had just had a team that year so my mum and dad took me to a game and then that was it fell in love with the sport fell in love with the rougher side of the sport and it just grew from there well, and and I was saying, and like when I had John on, and well, I've had a couple of UK guys on here over the over the last little over the two hundred episodes, but uh, um, the UK fights. I mean, the fight scene in hockey, you know, nowadays is non-existent pretty much in in every league. But I mean, at the time, back in the day, like uh, there's been some tough dudes roll through the UK, and I think uh, a lot of times. I think as North American fans, I think we, we uh, said, for lack of a better term, we sort of sleep on the UK. And, yeah. uh, and until you start going through the rosters and ser- some of the years over there, man, there, there's been some there's been some tough cats skate over there. Yeah, some big names have come over yeah. to our side. Like John was saying on your episode, though, some only for a little handful of games and then they're off and they're gone. But we've had some big names, some real tough guys. Well, no, absolutely. And of course... As you've gone on, one of your, your strength and conditioning coach. Well, what, of course, you ended up working with the Manchester Storm. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, funny to be for me in like the circle of life. Ended up working for the team, supported as a kid. So I was very fortunate, very lucky. And of course, and you said it was 2016. You got you got you started with the team, right? So, yeah, that was the. Uh, the, the, the second season of Manchester Storm reforming and coming back into the league, uh, that 2016-17 season, yeah, uh, and we had some characters on that team, so it was a great year. Well, and one of those characters, of course, was uh, Eric Nielsen, who, yeah. who I'm a massive Eric Nielsen fan, so how how was he to uh, to work with and and that type of thing? He, Neil was just, he was unbelievable. The, the, one of the best humans I've ever come across in my life. Hockey, on the, on the ice, he's a character, but off it, you've never met a more positive individual in your life. He was brilliant. Like, and you, like, expand on that a little. Like, how so? Like, what? So, I'll tell you the, the first, my first interaction with him. So I'm a bit nervous, you know, I'm a strength coach. It's not big over here with, with UK hockey, the strength and conditioning world. 
So to come up for a lot of guys coming over from, you know, if they've been AHL or they've done the East Coast and now they want Europe, to then come in and, you know, see that there's a strength coach who wants to get them in the gym, it was quite unique, quite new. So I met Neil the first time, was in the Storm office. And Neil Russell, our general manager, they were chatting away and he was trying to print something out. Uh, and this printer was just old and not working or something. And Neil Russell was getting a bit frustrated. And Neil was like, guys, guys, come on. This is the best printer you've ever come across in your life. The buttons are beautiful. It lights up great. It looks great in the desk. And it was just that <clears throat> that positive angle that he brought. And he did, he did that through the entire year. Just always positive, always saw the best in everything. How was he at the gym? Could he throw some weight around? <clears throat> so, I mean, like I say, guys come over here generally, a sort of back end of the career, yep. and especially a man of his, you know, the, the position he's played, the role he played in the game, his body was a little bit beat up. So what in, my, in terms of, from my end as a strength coach, it was kind of like this man's paid his dues to the sport, will do whatever he feels right to keep his body ticking for the season. Not going to make him do anything, lift this, lift that. So he, he was a he was a strong boy. Uh, but at this point of his career, it was more, let's get him ticking over than lifting massive weights. For you being a fight fan and that type of thing, did you... Uh... Did you sit, ever just sit down with him and pick his pick his brain about the fights, or did he like talking you know, about it? Or he it, it was difficult because, and this is one of the things I kind of regret looking back on that time of I never really I never really spoke about them. I kind of you have the little conversations, and if you felt they were going to speak about it, because I know some guys don't like to talk about fights. Uh, I was lucky enough the next season to work with Jay Rosehill. You wouldn't even know he played in the NHL if you're talking to him. He was kind of that sort of quiet and humble about it all. Uh, and Neil was kind of like that. He was just just really positive, outgoing guy, loads of energy. But, yeah, kind of in my profession, I thought, I'll just stick. You, you kind of try and be a guy who's, you take him away from hockey with your conversation. Uh, but looking back, it was a bit of regret. I wish I kind of picked his brains. Uh, on his career and the stuff he'd done and some of the videos I'd seen of him. While you were telling me like uh, he was on the road, he three of his fights that year, uh, you were you happened to be on those road trips, and one of those fights was against McGratton. Yeah, so I just three road games I, I travelled on that season out of my choice, and I just so happened to go on his only three fights of the year. They were all on the road. <laughs> Brian McGratton, Garrett Klotz, and Zach Fitzgerald. So I happened to to be on the bench watching him. Sad for the McGratton fight. I should have been on the bench. You know, great view of it. But we had an injured player travel with us and I didn't want him to sit in the stands by himself to watch the game. So trying to be the team player, I was like, oh, I'll sit with you. I'll keep you company during the game. So I, I, I kind of give up one of the best seats in the house to be on the bench for that. Uh, which I'm a bit gutted about when you look back on it. <laughs> Did uh, like did you, when on the on the trip back? Did you kind of did you say anything to to Eric about it, or did you guys talk about the fight at all, or did he say anything about it? So yeah, he spoke about it was the helmet, you know, the hel- I don't want to say the helmet incident. Yeah. So Neil obviously he throws all his gear off, his helmets off, the hair slicked back, and he's ready to go. And McGratton keeps it on, and he's kind of saying like. 
come on, you know, what are you doing? T- take it off. Uh, so he was, he was a bit, a bit downhearted with that, but he understood. McGrattan explained to him, you know, when they come together and when they get to the box, he, he explained to him why he keeps his helmet on. Uh, and Neil fully understood the reasons with his concussion and that bad. Can't remember who he fought in, in the AHL, and he really got KO'd. Yeah. Uh, so Neil understood the reasons. He was just a bit disappointed as, you know, everything's off. And he kept his on. But he understood why. He was a great, he was just a great guy. He held no sort of like bitter grudge or anything, any animosity. He understood why he wanted to do and needed to do that. Yeah. Because it was a great fight as well. Yeah. Well, that's what I was, yeah, exactly. And I remember McGrath not taking the helmet off. And I remember that on the course on the message boards and everything else. That got a lot of play, right? There was a lot of people yeah. mentioned about that, and it was just that. That was where I was going with that. Did he say anything about the helmet thing? Yeah, yeah. So because I think you can understand both sides, you know, someone who's had the career McGrattan's had, and he's coming over to England to play. You know, if he if he feels that's best for him, it's just unfortunate that Neela, in his excitement of fighting, I think he think he does it often where he takes the the lid off. Uh, it was just one of those unfortunate things. But he never, he didn't, he wasn't pissed off. He didn't hold animosity. He understood why he wanted to do that. Yeah, well, and well, and another, uh, the other guy that you mentioned, of course, was Jay Rosehill. Yeah. Yeah, other, another guy I was a big fan of. Um, now that I'm thinking back on it, Rose didn't he get banned? From the league, oh, he, he got he got loads of bands. I think with this Manchester Storm, he, he might have gone into double digits of different, you know, different times and across the season, he was getting suspended. Uh, I think it was a reputation thing before anything else. Yeah, I was just like, uh, did now? Did you talk to him at all about? Well, for, well, did he talk to you at all about the bands or the suspensions or anything? Did he? So, Rant and rave no, no, Jay, he was, for a guy who I felt like Jay, Eric Nielsen was super, like, super kind, super nice, super friendly, dead happy. Rosie was a bit more, you could tell he had a switch that he didn't want to flick. He was a cat, like, speaking to him in the gym. He was a great leader in the gym. He would get a good lift on in the gym. Uh had a great presence about him, but you just knew there was something there. There was a there was a switch you just didn't want to flick with Rosie, otherwise you'd get a bad a bad side come out of him. But when you would never ever ever speak about the role, what he's done in, in his previous teams, in his time before the UK, you'd never know. And more of like a, he was a very humble guy. You'd never know that he played the NHL and had the career that he'd had done and the fights that he'd had done. Mm, that's 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 interesting. Um, <clears throat> now, in terms of uh, you know the guy, the guys in the gym and all that, uh, who who is who's who's sort of the strong, who's the strongest guy that you've had to, you've you've worked with? I'd probably say out of natural strength in 2016, we had Darian Dzinski on the team. Yeah, he has a his older brother David Dzinski had some NHL time, some NHL fights, and. 
but Darion over here was, I mean, probably in the AHL as well. He was an unbelievable player, skill, everything. He was just, you could see this guy was a step above a lot of players for his natural ability and his skill. But boy, that he was a strong. But I don't know if he's like on, on a farm history or that natural farm strength. But he had massive forearms and he could lift, and he was just naturally strong. And if he dropped the gloves, he was a bit. He could handle himself as well. Yeah, he uh, yeah he played junior here in Saskatoon, and uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um... Like I'd never described him as a fighter. Didn't no. think he'd be on the draw, but if shit went down or you run the goalie or you get a teammate, he'd be in there and he was he he'd ragdoll you. He was a he was a big strong boy. Are you uh are you still working with the team uh right now? So at the minute I I kind of I'm I guess you'd call it a bit of a consultant for them, so I just help guide the team uh with any sort of program help I can't be with them in person like I used to be but I keep in touch with the players of the roster from this season yeah and kind of just help them in the gym if they need any guidance any sort of advice any new you know sometimes they might be stuck in a rut of what they're used to training and maybe just throw out some new things to them so I'm still involved with the team it's just quite loosely okay well you were saying uh you know, when you were over there uh, before we got going, that you kind of had a uh, when you were at the um, the Nottingham game, you had you ran into McGratton, Brian McGratton, and had a conversation with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was when Nottingham visited us. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure I read an interview where he talks about being in England and sat in a locker room. Thinking, what what am I doing here? I need I'm fin- I need to finish now. It was probably sat in the Manchester locker room because they're just so shitty and poor for the away team. Uh, but yeah, I was lucky enough to. He was just as I got into the rink, he was just stood there looking at the rink. Uh, so just struck up a little conversation with him. <clears throat> he was a real. There's not many people you come across in life who have an aura about them where you're like, "Whoa, this this guy's he, he can handle himself. He looks the part. There's there's a look in their eye where he's just there's something different about them." And he was one of those guys, really nice guy to chat to. We just talked about football, soccer over here, uh, and how we loved Manchester as a as a city. But yeah, just you just know when someone's a bit. They've got something different about them, and he was one of those guys. But super nice to talk to. Did you did you have any interaction with Cam Jansen? I didn't. Sadly, he was there the year before, so I'd I'd never uh, I never got to speak to him or be up close to Cam the year before. It was the year after, but I did uh, never spoke to him. But Patrick Bordlow when he was at Cardiff, again, I'm just stood waiting for warm ups, and he comes out in his gear. I'm only five foot eight. And out comes Patrick Bordelow in his gear and his skates on. Must have been six foot nine or something. Long arms. Another guy who looks, they look intimidating. There's just, there's an intimidating thing about them. Yeah. He was another one. He was the same, had a similar look about him. How about Zach Fitzgerald? <clears throat> Zach, God, he's, he, he was a great player over here. So, and he, in my little 
we have a little, it's like a little fraternity of strength coaches. So Danny, who was the strength coach at Sheffield, who, who worked with Zach, just always spoke so highly of him as a leader. Because uh, we, it's not, a lot of people just see leaders on the ice. But when you're in the gym, training your group, these are the guys that you kind of leaned on to set the tone or, you know, set a good example for the rest of the team. Eric Nielsen, every day, we, we used to train with a, uh, one of our sponsors in a public gym. So you, we'd walk in, you know, and there's just members of the public in a big, huge gym. And, I mean, I don't know what it's like over there for gyms. They're always messy over here. Dumbbells are everywhere. So we'd stroll in, Eric Nielsen in his typical positive way. He'd have all the boys put the dumbbells back in, in correct order and tidy the gym up before we'd even done anything. Uh, so that was like that leadership thing, you, yeah. you know, you kind of see with these guys. They always have this, you know, whether it was Rosie, Neela, I know about it with uh, Fitzy. They're characters that are strong leaders. Uh, and he was no exception. Mean guy in the ice, someone you always want on your team. Uh, but from the stuff I've heard of him, just awesome guy to have on your team. No, absolutely. And, uh, it, it, yeah, in terms of that, um, did, did you have anybody, you don't have to throw names out or anything, but it was just, uh, or unless you want to, whatever, it's your call. But did you ever have anybody come over and, like, just did not have, you could almost just tell, like, don't want to be here, don't want to listen to you, just hated the whole experience? I know I've been so lucky. I've had it in other sports. You know, I've worked in rugby union over here and worked with some soccer players. And they can be terrible for not wanting to do things in the gym or ignoring you. I was so fortunate, especially that first year in Manchester where I was really heavily involved with the team. Uh, And this is probably props to Omar Pasha and Neil Russell, the general manager who built the team. You know, I had the, uh, Trevor Johnson was our captain, a D-man who played, played I'm trying to think of his juniors, if he, was double, he might have been the Western League boy. Yeah. Uh, and then he spent a lot of time over in Italy and Europe. Yeah, Coot in the Ice, WHL boy. Yep. Uh, you know, this is a guy who's played in international tournaments for Italy and captain and, you know, he's been there and done that. Back end of his career, coming to the Storm. He listened to everything I asked him to do. Again, he was our leader uh, and he led from the front and that just makes your life so much easier when the likes of Neela and Trevor Johnson. Uh, and like Neela as well, like seeing his career, he's had AHL, you know, NHL preseason games, the amount of camps he must have been to. He made me feel like a veteran NHL strength coach. The way the respect he showed me, the way he treated me, just made me feel... Give me that confidence where we're doing things and, you know, he was just, that that helps me so much when you've got guys like that. So I was dead lucky. Didn't have a guy who was like, oh, can't be asked for this or what do you know or, or English boy trying to train hockey players, you know, what do you know? So I was really lucky on that side. Absolutely. Well, one guy that's, uh, uh, well, it was over there for a couple of years, he's still there, uh, Lyndon Springer. Yeah, Lyndon. <laughs> Great guy. Uh, a real character. Uh, our first conversation, 
because what I always tried to do was to try and tailor things to players. I didn't want them coming over here and me dictating to them everything that you're going to do. But Lyndon was a big uh, sort of bodyweight yoga guy. So for someone who's uh, yeah, he's another one who's switch can flip uh, when, when he needs to. But what he likes to do away from the rink is nice and calm, nice yoga. Uh, and he's another, again, it's one of these, it's a, it's a pattern I've found with the guys who play a tougher role. They always lead from the front. They lead on the ice when people are watching. If they have to protect a teammate, they're there. They're the first one who's jumping in. But they're leading when people aren't watching as well. They're leading in the background. They're leading in the gym. And he's another example of that. Yeah, that's um, yeah. Well, this is just uh, yeah. Like I said, it's just kind of an interesting. I think a, an interesting uh, kind of behind the, you know, behind the locker room door here with the with the Manchester Storm, just sort of you know, <laughs> some of the tough guy. But like, it's a different take on things, right? Coming from the trainer and that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's last... really interesting. Sorry, oh, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say it was an interesting thing on my part as well with the sport, the likes of like you know this particular role the guys are generally over in North America what getting four or five minutes at the most a game and then the likes of Neela will come over here you know he's getting two minutes or so and now he's getting 18 minutes a game and for his whole career he might not even have that in in a month yeah. let alone just one night yep. so conditioning wise it was real it was a very you know it was a, a unique position where you've got these guys coming over you just assume they're just hockey players they played you know 15 years 10 years or whatever well actually no this guy's not played as much as he's going to now he's on power play he's on penalty kill uh and also a big thing for me was the hands so obviously you're training in the gym you're using your hands a lot but you know you go through the season uh we had another guy in the team who not a fighter uh, but a tough guy, Dallas Earhart, one of our big demon. So he'll, he's the kind of the guy, and again, another good leader, and I'll keep saying it. Uh, sound like a broken record, but you know, if it needs to be, he'd step up protecting teammates, protecting the goalie. Uh, but things like he's injured fingers in a fight, and now he can't lift in the gym, so you need to do your programming to match a guy whose hands are beat up. Uh, I know it was a similar thing for Fitzy, the guy who was just fighting all the time, no matter what. His hands were probably a mess during the whole season. Uh, so that was an interesting thing on my side of things, the strength coach, like, God, I've got this fighter here, whose hands are a mess. How am I going to get him to hold the weight? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like you said, right, there's, there, I think those are things that people, you know, the, the, the fan just sitting on the outside doesn't, take into consideration right yeah and, definitely yeah and it's like and you gotta work around it and uh and different things you certainly don't want and you don't want to reiterate it or aggravate it right so yeah exactly yeah that and from your perspective as the co as the training as the trainer um yeah that's got to be quite the yeah the chore to kind of work around that yeah definitely it's difficult yeah, well, it was just great for me as a guy who, you know, I grew up from 95 watching the game, loved the fighting side, but to then work with them so closely, see how genuinely top 
individuals these guys are with fans, with kids, with all the people. Uh, it was great to to be immersed in with it all and really get to you know you hear stories all. I met such and such and they were nice but to be immersed with it all year and really get to know these individuals who drop the gloves at the flick of a switch for a teammate or to change momentum or you know any other reason they're fighting it's a dangerous job like Eric Nielsen in the season uh, in 2017 he took a puck directly to his eyeball Uh, there is pictures of it uh, online if you were to search Eric Nielsen because his eye was an absolute mess uh, I'm not sure if he if he broke any bones, I can't remember but it was a really scary injury because it was his actual damage to his eyeball so he spent, <clears throat> he spent a while on the sidelines and then he came back in I think he had a cage on for a little bit and then towards the back end of the season he was trying to there was games where he was trying to get people to go with him, uh, but they were just so they had, they just didn't want to go near it because of the injury he sustained. Uh, yeah, if you Google Eric Nielsen, you, and it, it'll pop up with his eye, and it was really bad. Uh, again, it's that human side. You you know these guys are all just humans, and he could be dropping his gloves with an eye injury that. Couldn't be far off getting a detached retina, or you know, but he's still willing yeah. <laughs> to put his body on the line and try and do that for the team. Yeah, no, absolutely, no. It's it's an amazing, yeah. It's at the end of the day, it's an it's an amazing position and the character that it takes to perform it, and uh, and I think it. it I, I I mean it's it's cliche. People can see that watch the Ice Guardians and they can see all that stuff and whatever. But I think yeah, like you said, I think especially from your perspective, until you're in it and you're around it and you know them personally and you see them every day and you're interacting with them, it hits a lot closer to home for sure. Yeah, definitely. I've I've gone down to the locker room, <clears throat> or we've, there's been a fight at the end of a period, and we all get into the locker room, and you see an almost vulnerable side to them. You know, you they're on the come down. I've always just you've enjoyed. Oh, there's a big fight going on. Oh, look at you! You get all excited as the fan, but when you sat next to the guy who's just had that fight and his adrenaline is pumping through his body, now he's starting to come down from that and the shakes that you know you don't see that side of it. Yeah. Just see what happens on the ice and guys go off or sit in the penalty box, but to see you know the effects on their body. Is this human who's in front of you, where the adrenaline's going, and it's coming down, and that—that that was a real eye opener for me. It was amazing to see. Again, it's something fans don't think about. Yep. No, absolutely, and uh, well, I hate, like I said with the with these segments. I hate to cut these segments short because this is it's been really interesting, yeah, but it certainly will not be the last time I have you on because I definitely want to go further into this and. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll go further into your fandom. You know, we'll talk Doug Dowell and that type of thing, and and because uh, I know he's a favorite of yours. But uh, yeah, sounds yeah. good to me anytime. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely have you back on. But I want to thank you for taking the time out. I know it's late there, and uh, for hanging on because I can I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming for work. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. But uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. I appreciate all the shows you're doing, everything, all the content you make for us.
No, like I said, it's, uh, you know, no, absolutely. And like I always say, it's your guys' show. So, no, the fact that you guys are enjoying it. And like I, well, I was saying before we got going, right? Uh, yeah, you, you, you jokers over there in the UK, you're, uh, you're, you're diehards, that's for sure. And, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, and you and Searson and Paul and all those guys over there, uh, Scott and them, uh, you guys have always supported the show. And I, and I really appreciate that. And, uh, no, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, I, I want to thank you again. That I really appreciate it. Anytime. What a great, great chat. Thank you. Episode 200 here. My next guest on the line. R- returning guest. He's a big deal here. He's a ratings grabber. Jay in Iowa. Jay, what's happening? Uh, how's it going, man? Just, just sitting here having an adult beverage on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, you're you're past dredging the bottom of the ditch. You're got your shovel going, digging me back out again. Oh, reaching up to touch bottom. Yep. Here we are. You're, I think you're going to be the anchor of this episode. You're, you know, or well, maybe yeah, you really are the anchor of this episode. But I mean, you know, the, the is, that, fun, is that a fat joke? Oh, not at all. Fat guest, fat fat host. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, well, <laughs> you, you threw me off there for a sec. Okay, well. <laughs> So, so you're uh, as you as the folks listening. If you're uh, a longtime listener, or if you're not, you're going to find out here that uh, Jay is a big United Hockey League connoisseur back in the day, and uh, the United League was known, well, minor leagues in general, but especially United League was known for some pretty wild promotions and game day promotions and that type of thing and giveaways. We're going to discuss some of those today. Yeah, there was. That's that's the one thing I love most about minor league hockey. Aside from you know, it's still minor league hockey is probably ten fifteen years behind the NHL with everything you know physicality, fighting, but especially the promotions. And there was always always something ridiculous going on behind the scenes. Get the fans in the building. You know, dollar beers are one thing, but you know we'll we'll go through the list. You asked me to put together, and there there's some straight out of right field stuff that is phenomenal. I love. I I always say with the when the NHL goes carny, it drives me nuts and I hate it. But the carnier, the better in the minors. I'm all for it. So, and I, I got a list of some carny stuff for you that uh, it'll make you chuckle. I'm sure. Well, I'm fired up. So here we go. Hit me with it. Okay, you you said uh, top five top five promotions. I like we talked about earlier. I got six. Yep. Uh, but at five, you know, there's. A lot of minor league hockey teams started in baseball. Minor league hockey picked it up, was, you know, giving out the bobbleheads. Well, at the time, the Quad City Mallards had given out some bobbleheads, and they thought, well, how can we, how can we set ourselves apart? And they decided, let's give away a rubber duck instead of bobblehead. So the Quad City Mallards decided to go with the uh, Kerry Toporowski Celebra Duck giveaway. And... This is this is no shit. It's it's a it's a rubber duck with Kerry Toporowski's face on it, with a duck bill and a black eye, wearing a Mallards jersey, holding a stick. And it's it's it, Darren. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I've it's seen, fantastic. I see pictures of it. I love it. Especially Toporowski. It makes it even better. Yep, the uh, 2003 Quad City Mallards first edition celebrity duck Kerry Toporowski is. I still have it up in the uh, in the bar in the basement. Love it, celebrity duck. There we go. The, the celebrity ducks, and then uh, number four, we'll go with 
something that's close to your heart as well, as well as relevant with the Netflix documentary coming out. Well, when the Danbury Trashers were in town, the Quad City Mallards had a take-out-the-trash night. And not only did they give away a miniature trash bin, like you would roll out to your curb on trash day, which I still use to this day as a pen holder in my computer desk. But, you know, a, a hockey team over the years, they have a lot of different promos. So for take out the trash night, they gave away every single old promo that they still had. So they had like five or six different shirts, koozies, um, like the DVD pump up promo video. They had all this stuff laid out for take out the trash night. So you got your, your little trash can and you got to pick one thing from the cardboard boxes of trash that they still had kicking around to the bottom of the arena for the last 10 years. Love it. Love it. But I, 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 although I am a little disappointed, the trash can did not have the Mallards nor the Trashers logo on it. It was sponsored by the, the actual trash company. <laughs> but right. but uh, I, I like to squint my eyes and pretend it kind of looks like the uh, awesome trash can logo. I love it. And so number three, one of the most creative things that I know of in minor league hockey that I don't know would fly nowadays. Uh, on two separate occasions, the Quad City Mallards gave out legitimate voodoo dolls for the opposing team. <laughs> and it's like they're, they're a little bundles of sticks and twigs tied up. The one has a clown face and a red wig on it. It was promoted as Jim Duhart voodoo doll night. And they each have like their little, little cards. Let me, uh, I took pictures of them cause it's, it's small print and, and Darren, I'm old. <laughs> so the Jim, the Jim Duhart bobblehead was referred to as the cuckoo do bobblehead insert a pin into the appropriate area of cuckoo do to keep negative influences, oppressive, dirty and sloppy people with bad energy away from the mallards. Cuckoo Doo dresses in clown face to hide his tears for being expelled from the warrior tribe in Danbury to Flint with the general Nicholas for being greedy, whiny, and selfish and moody. He's clothed in zebra stripes to fool the dim-witted, baddest referee's tribe. I'll, uh, I'll send you the pictures after, after we get done recording, but it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I was, whoever wrote that was quite the wordsmith. That is tremendous, it, right? Wait till you hear the one they gave away against the uh, Fort Wayne Comets. And it looks like a legitimate voodoo doll from the deepest depths of the jungle. There's like a like a plumage of, of red and, or excuse me, of orange and black feathers coming out of the head. The weird the weird voodoo doll mask with cat whiskers and then uh gold sparkles. It is the uh Kometco voodoo doll. <laughs> to protect the mallards from negativity and evil, insert a pin into an appropriate area of Kometco. Kometco is always adorned in ugly orange and black, the favorite colors of the diabolical sorcerer Franke, tender of the underworld and protector of Chalco. Of course, taking folks of the old uh, Colin Chalk who played there, who we mentioned in the, the UHL season ticket episode. Yep. And their, their owner, Franke. And let's be honest, you're not getting away with that nowadays. No, somebody's feelings would be hurt and it'd be violent and whatever, but that is, uh, 
That is tremendous. Yeah, they they're they're something that I'm I'm pretty happy that you know my my pack rat self decided to hang on to. Well, see, that's, that's what I was gonna say. Was you're going through this? This is the best part of all this, folks. Fucking Jay has all this shit in his basement. Like he didn't throw any of this stuff out. Oh, I got I got boxes and boxes of this kind of stuff. I love it, and I did. I never know why I saved it, but I did. And thankfully, my wife has indulged indulged me and let me have a hockey room in the basement with a lot of this different stuff, you know, up on the walls, on the shelves and all that. And I can't thank her enough for putting up with my, my collections for the last, well, the last 25 years, more or less. Yep. She is, she has the patience of Job for, uh, for dealing with me with this stuff. I got to thank her as much as I can. But, uh, so, so we'll go with number two. I know, uh, you got a bunch of guys here lined up for this. I won't take too much of your time. No, no, it's all good, man. But number two is one of the one of the best things that that uh, that I've heard of, and I actually remember the sponsor of it now too. Just came to me. It was sponsored by B and B Drain Tech. Was the Flush the Fury Night, where they handed out plungers with the Fury logo on it to the first what thousand two thousand fans. And the it was a legitimate plunger with probably a two foot stick on it, and and at least one of them got thrown on the ice, stuck, plungered down on the ice. There was people sticking them to the glass all night long, and it's that's the only thing on this list that I don't still have that I wish I did because it was it was phenomenal. You're not giving away plungers in this day and age either. No. I just laughed there, sticking but, them on the glass and shit. That's hilarious. But what's funny is the sponsor, the the Mallards would sell sponsorship to anybody. And that year, they actually, the goalie sticks were painted all white, and they had B&B Drain Tech sponsoring the goalie sticks that year. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Slap the shit on everything, on anything. Hey. Oh, yeah, dude. It's the miners, man. You'll take the, you're going to take the money from wherever you can. Yeah, you're not paying those players under the table with just free money. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so we're we're to number one, but as we discussed off the air, I got uh, I got a one B and one A. This is why I have you the all one... the time. This is why you're a great guest. You do the little bit extra all the time. Well, I I, I try. You do. I try. Um, the the one B is something we discussed in the season ticket episode. In the 05-06 UHL season, there was a woman named Molly McMaster who played one game for each team to bring awareness to uh, colon cancer research and making sure everybody gets tested for colon cancer. Well, when she would play for, well, an example in Quad City, when she played for Quad City, not only was there a giant inflatable mascot of a enema superhero named Enaman that was probably six, seven feet tall, but they also gave away tiny little plush toys of the enema superhero. So as, as I sit here holding it, it, it's, it's a little fleet enema with hands and feet wearing a little hat with an enema nozzle on it and a little cape that says Enaman. Awesome. That's, that's not happening anywhere but minor league hockey. No, that is peak minor league hockey right there. It is. That's that's 
that's almost peak minor league hockey, Darren. I, the one the, the I, I, I still don't know how this happened. With, with the final crazy promotion, we have to go back to the 98-99 United Hockey League season. Not only during the season, but in the Colonial Cup finals. Yes. So in, in game five of the Colonial Cup finals, the teams were tied at two going into game five in Muskegon. The Mallards were playing the Fury, and Fury player Corey Banica bit Mallards player Mark McFarlane on the finger pretty pretty bad. I guess he, he drew blood. Then there was nothing done. to There was no suspension to Corey Banica. Then the Fury won that game in Muskegon in game five. Well, game six came back here to Quad City, and I'm sure, like like everywhere, like every metro area in the in the in, in Canada and in the U.S. and North America, the Quad Cities had you know the morning drive time DJs, yep. Dwyer and Michaels, and they were big. Yep, exactly. Uh, they were big big supporters of the Mallards, where they had the bright idea: hey, let's give away thousands of little plastic fingers with bloody slits in them during the finals when our team is down three games to two in the best of seven and the league, the United hockey league said, okay, that's fine. But if one of these fingers comes, okay, I skipped a step here. So they decided we're going to give away these plastic fingers. And after the national anthem, everybody's going to launch these fingers onto the ice. And the league actually okayed this, but they said if one of the fingers hits the ice during the game, it's going to be an automatic two-minute delay game penalty against Quad City. So the, the Mallards come out. They're skating around right before the anthem. The PA guy makes a comment that all the Mallards still have, their, still have all their fingers, and there's still a finger for another championship ring. So, so the, the anthem goes... And then they played the theme from Goldfinger, the James Bond movie. And all these fingers are raining down. There's thousands of these things hitting the ice. Well, I mean, if they're throwing fingers onto the ice, there's a pretty good chance it's going to land into the benches as well. So first period, second period, nothing happens. Third period, the Mallards are up five to two. And there's people, there's people that are actually leaving the, the arena to drive to Muskegon during the game to make sure they can be there for the next day to get tickets to game seven. Well, in the third period, one of these fingers finds its way onto the ice. The ref sees it, calls a delay game penalty. Come to find out, it came from the Muskegon bench. So they pitched the finger on the ice, got a power play, scored on the power play, and then scored three other unanswered goals, including the last goal in the last minute of the game, and won the cup on Quad City ice with the momentum built off of a finger thrown onto the ice, gotten a power play goal. Promotion backfire. I don't know that you could have a bigger promotion backfire unless it's, you know, let's give out pint glasses and then people are smashing them onto the ice. Now, what was the now? What happened to the DJs that came up with this brilliant idea? 
So they actually read some of the death threats they received on the air. Because <laughs> at, at the time, it was just about peak popularity for the Mallards. I mean, they're still getting 8,000 people into the building every yeah. night. And that was about the same time that they decided not to sponsor any more give, giveaways or promos. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, right there. Like, we we got to end on that because, I mean, how do you top that, right? Like that's there, there's, there's no topping that. I don't know that you're going to top that. I mean, it's been 15 years, damn near 20 years since that happened, and it, there's, there's no topping that. No. But I love it. There you go, folks. The the promotions of the Quad City Mallards of the United Hockey League. Well, Darren, I, you know what? I, I appreciate you having me on, and congratulations on 200 episodes, man. It's that that's a pretty good feat. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's been uh, you know a labor of love, and uh, it's been challenging at times. So I'll you know I, I've ranted to you many mornings through text messages and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's been overall, it's been a great experience. Like I said, got to know you through the through the show and stuff like that, and have you on, and and uh, you've been a great guest. Um, I Jay referenced it, and for those listening, if you're new listeners, um, we do a season ticket series, and we did the 0506 UHL season. It's kind of like a year in review, and uh, I did with Jay, and it was very successful, and got lots of positive feedback, and we discussed the entire year, not just with Quad City, but the entire league with Danbury and all the shenanigans that went on and all that stuff. And it's great. It's got everything, man. Like you said, it's got anima, man. It's got murder. It's got, we're talking fights, lots of tough guys. Definitely tune into the episode. It's awesome. But, uh, yeah, no, you were felony, felony indictments. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I said, so Jay has been an excellent guest. He always becomes prepared. And I want to thank you because it makes my life a lot easier as, as the host. So, uh, no, I want to thank all you guys for, for being great guests and always, taking time out and I know your game's on that you want to go watch it, but you still took time out to, to come on. So I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Happy to do it, brother. Hey, thank you, my friend. (laughs) All right. Take it easy. Take it easy, man. All right, here we are in the 200th episode circus of guests here. I have Barrett on the line. Barrett, how are you doing tonight? Oh, we're doing good, Darren. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much for uh, for agreeing to come on this uh, on this show here. I don't uh, I'm re- like I was telling you before we got going. I'm really not sure. I have a plan. I think it's just going to be a mishmash here. We'll but, wing it. Yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. That's what it's going to come down to. But um, <laughs> well, you, you're like, yeah, I'll come on the show. What do you want to talk about? And I'm like, I have no idea. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I was I was very well prepared when I threw out the. Uh, the invitation, but uh, you had mentioned jerseys, and we were kind of talking here off air about your jersey collection of a hundred jerseys or so from all the different leagues. And um, you were saying you were saying an Eric Bolton preseason jersey was the was the ignition switch to this crazy hobby of yours. Yeah, I was. Um, I think I was still in the Marines at the time here down in the states, and. Um, I ended up stumbling upon it. I was missing hockey back home. And uh, for some reason, I had gotten um, a sniff of the game-worn jersey hobby, right? And I came upon that website, uh, uh, dropthegloves.com. It was run by uh, 
we mentioned before, Brian Kersman's in the Enforcer Appreciation Group, um, and then he had another guy with him. His name escapes me, and I apologize. John, maybe? Yeah, John, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yep. And, uh, yeah, so I grabbed, I snagged a, a preseason Sabres jersey from 99-2000, um, and uh, a Varick Bolton. It was number 73, not the normal 26 he wore. Uh, but I remember seeing him fight Aaron Downey at center ice at uh, the Blue Cross Arena. And I was like, well, that's really cool. You know, I've got this jersey in my closet. That's that's neat. And I thought, I figured that would be it. Well, no, it wasn't it. And um, <laughs> as I mentioned, it it, it it turned into somewhat of an addiction and a hobby at the same time. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you now and I'm sitting in front of a desktop uh, with my monitor and I've got, I've got a, a YouTube playlist that I have jerseys owned and it's, all these jerseys that I own that are on uh, in my collection that I have referenced, if not video matched to uh, to actual fights, and it's just a really neat hobby. And it's, an, it's a neat way to kind of reminisce about the game, the way it used to be played. Um, and you know, as you said, it's I've got as we talked about before, I've got jerseys from the LNH all the way down to the uh, all the way up to the NHL. So there's the American League, East Coast League. Uh, I don't think I have the U-Haul anymore. I think I moved that one. Um, but I got to the West Coast Hockey League. That's an old name. Um, the WHA2, I've got a, a shirt from that league from way back when. So there's all kinds of leagues and players and, and that teams going all on. And enforcer jerseys? Oh, yeah. Every single one's an enforcer jersey, yeah. Um, well, Eric Bolton is the big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say with with because I know Alec, uh, he has jerseys as well, and they're always and I laugh because even when I was doing this podcast, I'd always have people say if I'm having a player on, ask him about jerseys, ask him about the modifications that they did and all that stuff. So I, I do, I try to every show, and of course he has the one Bosse jersey that has the tie down from the front that goes right you know through his crotch and to the back, it ties down on the front and back at the same at the same time. Um, now, are you talking about a blue Laval? Oh, I can't remember. A blue Laval I, I assume, I, yeah, I would assume it is. I think, yeah, it was a Laval jersey. Yeah, um, the uh, that you know, I have that here. He since moved. I actually acquired that from him, so that's oh, part well, of my. Okay. Uh... Yeah, well, there you go. So you know exactly <laughs> which one I'm talking about. Um, in yep. your in your collection, are, are there any kind of? Uh, do you have anything with Velcro sleeves or anything crazy like that? Oh goodness, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. So, uh, you know, speaking about Bolton, he used to put in. I think he uh, he might have got this from Rob Ray when he was playing with him, but he started stitching in um, like plastic clips uh, into his fight strap. So he'd put the female end, he'd get that sewn into the inside of the jersey where the fight strap attaches, and then he put the male end in his pants. So he he clipped that in. So there was there was no give on the strap, right? It was just it was clipped right in there. Hmm. Um, and I'm walking over to the rack now just so I can kind of go through. Um, Steve McIntyre, he used to uh, sew fight straps into the front of the jersey. So he had two. He had one in the front, one in the back. Um, Colton Orr did the same thing. He's got that in a Toronto and a New York jersey that I've got of his. Uh, yeah, so a lot of it is uh, secondary fight straps. That's um, usually the thing. And I, know I have an Atlanta Bolton, where he widened the sleeves. He never did that with any other teams that I know of, that I have examples of. But he did do that in this one Atlanta jersey I've got. Um, yeah, the sleeve modifications are big, too. A lot of guys will cut. I have an Eric Cairns Pittsburgh where he he sliced them um, at the cuff. 
Uh, I mean, that guy's huge. So I'm assuming he couldn't fit in the jersey or something. But um, yeah, that's another example. Uh, and then there, and the LNA stuff. There's there's a litany of of stuff they did. I mean, there's all kinds of widened and uh, tarped sleeves uh, from the LNAH. Um, Patrick Allard did it. Uh, Link Gates did it. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff here. A lot of guys. So I got a, I got a bunch of examples of different modifications here. But you got you got a link with link jersey? Do you got? So it's actually uh, let me pull it out here. So it's nameplated Jesse Grenier. Um, it is a number thirty uh, twelve Riviera Viking, and Link played there for a couple of games. I think it was three games. He played two. Uh, I think it was two road and one home. So. Um, it's a humongous jersey, and Jesse Grenier is not a massive guy. But it's number 30, so I don't have that one photo or video matched, unfortunately. But it was originally prepared for him, and I believe he played a game in it. Um, but that one, it's got this big slice down the back of the collar. I've been told that he's got quite the melon, which I can identify with. I wear a size 8 hat, so but I've heard uh, his is quite big. Quite big, so. Look at you guys and your fucking bison heads. All right. So, <laughs> um, well, what, um, yeah, okay. So, uh, as far as the jerseys go, have you, like, I know for a while there, yeah, kind of that mid 2000s, um, like, I remember, like, the game worn markets, and it, maybe it still is, but at, at the time when I was paying attention, the, I remember the enforcer game worn jersey thing was huge at the time. And I know those things were going for big money and, and everything else has the hobby sort of, um, is the hobby still going strong or is it kind of died off? Um, well, it, it kind of depends. So I ended up, I used to have a couple of higher end stuff and then I had a, an epiphany one day and I said, I can't have that kind of money tied up here. You know, I don't, because of the volatility of of, of, a, of a hobby market, right? So I used to have a Rob Ray Sabers. I used to have a Ty Domi Leafs. I moved those out of here just because I didn't I didn't like the idea of having you know a bunch of money into into a couple of pieces of cloth, right? So, but um, I do pay attention to the auctions. Um, anything that's real vintage goes for big big money still, like yeah. huge money. Still, every time there's an auction, it beats the auction prior type thing. Um, stuff that's from the late nineties to now, if it's a huge name, you'll still command a pretty good price for it. If you want to move something, um, but you can still get, you know, fairly decent deals on, on guys who maybe aren't as well known, uh, maybe weren't, maybe were super heavyweights, so to speak. Um, but it hasn't died off. It's a very niche, but yeah. the people that are in it, um, you know, they know what they want and they'll pay to get it and they'll trade you different jerseys to get it. If you don't, you know, they don't, they don't want to spend the cash and they might have jerseys that uh, you might be interested in and they'll swing deals. Um, but the thing about the enforcer market is we were talking about before about the game, the, the spigot got shut off. There's no more. They're not, they're not coming out anymore. I mean, there's no, there are no players, you know, like Bolton or McIntyre or Colt Nor or Steve McLaren, you know, those guys are gone. They're not going to be in the game anymore. So, um, what, what, what we have now is that. Did I lose you? Yep. There you go. And I got you. 
Okay. Gotcha. Okay. What you're, you're just saying? Sorry, folks, having technical difficulties here. What you're just saying? Uh, what we have now is. What we have now is it. That's it. The spigot got turned yeah. off. Yeah. You know, there's no more enforcers the way they used to be. You know, the Cairns and the Brashear. And I say Cairns and Brashear because that's the fight that's going on in the in my monitor next to me. <laughs> there you go. Um. Well, just like for the people that don't. Uh, that they, they don't follow the game worn or anything like that, but just I don't know uh, hypothetical, just just guessing. Like say, like, I guess a holy gro- what would a Bob Probert Red Wings jersey go for? Oh, uh, several thousand. Um, probably you put me on the spot here, and I really and I don't, I'm, which is fine. And I'm horrible about uh, retaining <laughs> retaining information, especially if it doesn't apply to me. Like I just mentioned, I don't. I'm not into the really big high dollar stuff, but his yeah. depending on the provenance of the jersey in terms of if you have it video matched or photo matched or you can you can match it to a photo in a game, I mean five, six, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars depending. Yeah. I mean they it, people go crazy uh for yeah. Bob uh Robert for obvious reasons, right? I mean he's yeah he was the king and he still is in many you know, in many many opinions. Well, I know, yeah, like, I know the photo matching thing is a big thing. Because I know um, I've had a bunch of guys get a hold of me because uh, they know I have Getty. I can help them out with the Getty images stuff. And uh, yep. I've done a lot of Getty searches for guys. And, uh, yeah, and same with LNAH. I have a whole bunch of LNAH pictures that I've helped. I know Al, I've helped Al, like, a few times. And, yeah, so that was always, that's always pretty cool to be able to, to help guys out matching up their because, yeah, that'd be cool, man, because that's the whole thing, right? You get the jersey, then you got a picture of him wearing it. That's even better. So it's like, yeah, I completely get that. But I was going to say, it yep. was funny, when you and I first started talking, we were talking about the Enforcer hockey cards and stuff. Um, I mean, most of my old goon cards are from the 80s and 90s and whatever. But I know nowadays they have cards, of course. They have, like, the material cards and all that stuff. How heartbreaking is that, that Upper Deck has bought, like, jerseys and then cut them up into pieces of cloth to put on a piece of cardboard. How heartbreaking is that? Oh man. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, I don't, whenever I see that, I, I don't, I don't research what Jersey it is because I don't want to know. Right. Like, yeah. cause, cause who knows what kind of a milestone Jersey that was, or if it was, you know, you and I are fight fans. So what fight that was worn in, you know, I don't, Granted, enforcer jerseys are not exactly, uh, they're not huge fodder for those cloth, cloth yeah. cards, whatever they want to call them. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, I've seen comment threads on forums and Facebook message or Facebook groups, you know, where they'll talk about, um, I mean, some of these card companies are absolutely insane. Like, uh, I think I want to say I saw it spread recently about a Merc Messier jersey. Like, why on earth would you cut that up? Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand it, right? So heartbreaking, you know, maybe not, maybe not the phrase I would use, but to me, it just, it's like, why, why would you, why would you not preserve that piece of history, right? Like, why would you yeah. cut it up, just throw it in a bunch of cards? And now it's spread out all over, you know, the world in pieces, you know, I, you know, yeah, I know that, yeah, I know there's been some, um, revisions made to how those programs work a lot of times they'll get like a a one game promo jersey you know they'll have a player wear wear a jersey once in a game and then they'll move that off to upper deck or whomever it is is going to cut it up 
but there have been examples where, you know, a, a card company, you know, contracts somebody out to acquire a jersey that is actually fairly well regarded in the hobby, and then it gets gets sliced up and thrown into hockey cards, and that's just. I don't get it, but uh, obviously there's a demand for it, so who am I, right? Well, yeah. Like, I remember watching an interview or something with like the Upper Deck CEO guy, or one of these card guys, and they were talking, and it was a baseball, I can't remember whose jersey it was, but it was like a high-end, like, it was like Willie Mays or something. Like, like it was an old, like, a Hall of Fame iconic player. Hank Aaron, maybe, yep. whatever. But they bought one of his jerseys like, and, it, and cut it up. And put it on these cards, and they and they were just like, "How the how can you do that?" One, well, he's like, "Well, instead of one guy owning the jersey, now fifty people own the jersey." Was his reasoning, and I'm just like, uh, "Not really." Like it's like I'm like, "Nah," I'm like, "That's kind of it's like, yeah, it's one thing if like you said, oh, it's a one off, or I mean, not some current player where they wear thirty jerseys in a year, yeah, okay, but I mean, when you start cutting up fucking Mickey Mantle jerseys and you know, Wayne Gretzky jerseys or stuff like that. It's kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. It's there, yeah, I, you know, but, um, yeah. Exactly. I'm with you there. But, um, well, I mean, I guess, you know, you can always say Bob Probert or whatever, but is there a jersey that you, I mean, everybody says they're grails, right? What what, what jersey are you chasing? What, what would it be? Give me a couple. Well, I, so... So my, I know where it is now. He's a local guy. Um, I made the mistake of acquiring my my Grail early on in my hobby. Right, it was a Rochester Americans Eric Bolton, ninety nine two thousand. And then you know I was between I owned two houses at one time and you know renovating one and moving out of the other. So I ended up selling it to somebody. So I know exactly where it is and it's not going because he loves that thing more than probably more than I did from what he tells me. So I'm glad it's there. Um, but if I had one now, I mean, I'm really fond of um, Bolton stuff still uh, with the Sabres, the early 2000 stuff. I've got, I've got the, uh, there was a fight that Bolton had uh, against Steve and Pete where he ripped the front of the jersey right down to the crest. Um, I mean, Pete gave him all the good handle and then some probably, but it was still a good scrap. I've got that one here hanging. Um I've got uh I've got a couple Steve McIntyre Florida jerseys. I've got a uh I've got the one that he fought Wade Belek in actually. Hanging here. That one's pretty that one's pretty cool. I've got the third jersey that he that McIntyre fought Colton Orr in that Florida year here. That one's pretty neat. Um what have else you ever, do I have got? Have you ever here? had a player reach out to you? Wanting their Oh jersey? yeah. Yeah, read low. Um Reed Lowe did, Blue Benefield. Um, but Reed Lowe is actually a pretty cool dude. He actually, you know, he gave me a call and we talked about it and and uh, sent it. He, you know, he, he paid me what I paid for it, essentially, and I sent it on its way. He was a good guy. Had a couple other players, too, that um, that have reached out and uh, whether, they, you know, whether they didn't want to pay for it or thought they shouldn't have to pay for it. And, you know, I'm not going to name them, but, you know, it, it is it's fine. I'm okay with with it, you know, with them, I don't want to say being offended or anything, but I'm not giving stuff away, right? That I, you know, that I've put in my collection. It, it'll it'll be here, you know, if they if they want to come back for it. Um, but yeah, I've had a, I've had several uh, players reach out over the past and and inquire about uh, me sending them one of their shirts. Yep. Yeah, that always amazes me. That uh, and I guess 
just a fan. It was a different mindset. I get we just because I mean we think about that shit when they don't. But I'm just always amazed that guys just didn't collect their stuff, whether it be jerseys or like fight foot. Well, I'm such a fight footage geek, but like especially the tough guy, like they didn't collect their fights on tape or whatever. I mean, it's one thing if you're in the NHL, okay, whatever, it's all out there. But like if you're a minor league guy, so few guys collected their stuff, and it's just like heartbreaking when they get a hold of me, and it's like, like that stuff's gone, man. Like it's no, I don't have it. Like no one has that stuff. Like. You know, and it's just yeah. like, and you'd like to help them, but it's just, you know, and then same thing with their jerseys, right? It's like, oh, why didn't you keep it? Like, but I guess they just, when you're in it, you just don't think about it until you're done, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, why didn't I keep that stuff? Yeah, I I, I hear that, you know, and it's, and I try to help those guys out, you know, if they reach out and they really need some, they say, hey, look, I mean, I'm not going to try to make money on you. This is what I paid. Yeah. This is what UPS is, or USPS is going to, or whoever I'm going to ship through is going to charge me for. So you give me this, I'll send it up to you. You know, I'm not, I'm not here to, I'm not here to make money on it. I enjoy it. And um, if there's something that you need or that you want and, you know, it's, it, it, you know, you wore it and you want it for your collection, by all means, you know, it, it's here. So, I mean, there's, there's some exceptions to that where like, you know, if, if it, if it caught, you know, if it took, if I had to move earth to get it type of deal, I might hang on to it for a while. You know, that's yeah. happened a few times where, um, where, you know, shirts, you know, jerseys gotten here and then a player has reached out and said, uh, Hey, I needed, uh, you know, I was like, I was talking to the previous guy about that. And I'm like, all right, well, I mean, if I'm going to move it, you're the first guy I'm going to call. I'm going to, I'm going to let you know. But, um, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you got to make sure you, you, you keep the, uh, the ink in the black, right? You don't want to be in the red, you don't want to, yeah, well, yeah, make sure yeah, you're... I mean, at the same time, it's not charity, right? It's like, I, I did pay yeah. money for this. It's like, I'm not, yeah, I'm a fan of yours, but it's like, at the same time, eh, you know, like, I'm not just giving this shit away. Like, you know, nor, and exactly. I mean, at the same time, nor, I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of, nor should they expect you to, but I guess some guys do expect that, but it's like, mm, no, or they don't understand, maybe, like, it's just, yeah, this isn't some t-shirt from Walmart, like, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yep. But. Yeah, yeah, guys are like, oh, I'll send you some eight by tens, some signed eight by tens. Yeah, like, no, I'm I'm good. Oh, no thanks, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, exactly. it is what it is. Yep. No, but um, oh man, that's cool. Um, well, man, that's uh, yeah. Well, there we go. We get we have our we have our jersey segment. Um, yeah, they. Uh, I don't I don't know. Like I said, I I don't really know how to end this soundbite this bit. I do know um, I'm going to have you back on because uh, I'm assuming so. Like, like obviously a Rochester guy, whatever. Um, uh, when did you start going to the Rochester games? Oh, geez. I mean, I, I was raised in Rochester. Um, I live a little, little further south now, but um, in like, Canada. Were you there when Ray here, and them but, were playing? Uh, no, I was born. Well, I was. Well, what year was he there? Um, yes, I would have been there. Yep, because I was born in 83. So I probably saw him play. But just don't exactly remember him. Yeah. Type of deal. I was probably what year would he have been there? Eighty nine through yeah, yeah. ninety one. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. So that would have been you know I'm, what was I? I was probably let's see eighty three, eighty nine. So I was six, seven, eight years old. So I didn't. You know, you're not you're not you're not you're not there. You know, you're not following the enforcers. You know, just to no. just follow the enforcers at that point. You're watching the game as a little kid. But I'm sure I saw him play. Um, I just wasn't of the. Uh, 
wasn't of the mindset of like, you know, I think the first guy that I saw play where I was like, you know, I kind of like the fights was Roman Ender. Yeah. You know, the Nigerian nightmare. He was pretty cool to watch. Yeah. But, but yeah, I was there. Yeah. Well, well you would have seen some pretty decent <laughs> tilts in that old building. Bruce Shoebottom. That's the first, I think that's the first fight that I remember when I was a kid where I was like, okay, people really enjoy the fights because the, the, the fans were, they had that long shoe chant going, you yeah. know? Um, I don't know. He must have fought somebody in a corner. I was a tiny, I was a little kid. I barely remember it, but I do remember it. Yeah. I was like, all right, okay, that's a big part of the game. Cool. Well, and it's like, yeah, especially <laughs> Rochester with such a history, rich history, right? Like Val James and Risto and Shoe Bottom and Van Dorp and you know and all those guys and you know um, and then you go up through the years, like you said, Rob Ray and Barnaby and Bolton have all gone through there, and um, yeah. Definitely some, yeah, yeah, a lot of Endor and guys like that. So definitely a lot of uh, Andrew Peters, McMorrow. Yeah, there's been some dudes down in Rochester for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All, all the guys you mentioned and then some. There's it's a, a, a rich history here in Rochester with, uh, with the Americs and tons and tons of tough guys have, uh, have skated here. So it's pretty cool to think about. Absolutely. Well, that's excellent, man. Well, like I said, like off air before, I know we're kind of – it's kind of just a brief little kind of, you know, 15, 20 minute deal, but I certainly want to have you back on the show and we'll go much more in depth on your, with the enforcer talk. And uh, I've already laid on time, but I want to, uh, I definitely want to get you on to hear about your experiences in Quebec going up to the LNAH games and, uh, and that type of thing. If you're, if you're willing to come back on the show. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me know when, and uh, we'll make it happen. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 